Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. will advance. The star is just dribbling it out with his teammate. Those two guys were pretty special. Hodge and Brown and they'll advance. M-I-Z, baby. Tigers are advancing alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario live from Max once again in downtown Alton, Illinois. We will be here until 2 o'clock. Fastland starts at 2. I'm pulling double duty today, so I will be with you guys until 5 o'clock. For those of you that are happy, excited to be along with you. For those of you disappointed by that news, I'm sorry that you have to deal with me for a longer period of time today. Alex, that audio was courtesy of TNT as Missouri advances beyond the first round of the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2010. Can I give you guys some fun facts on what took place the last time that Missouri oh, Is, is there math involved? Is this going to be one of those where it's like, what was going on in the year 2010? And it is. Because oh. I don't remember. I was like in middle school. You were 10. Actually, the been first Avatar movie was Ooh. nominated for uh, Best Picture. Terrible year. movie. Terrible oh. movie. Rihanna's Rude Boy, which was in the news Rude once again go, this go, year go, in 2023, was Great at the song. top of the charts. Great song. I don't remember. Barack Obama was in his first term in office. Yep. The average price, Alex, I know this is going to hit home for you, for a dozen eggs in 2010? It's got to be like 99 cents. $1.65. God, it's like two seventy-five right now. It's ridiculous. Mike Anderson was Missouri's coach. Kim English was a sophomore in college at the time. What? He is now a head coach what? in college basketball. By the way, John Shire, who is now the head coach at the University of Duke, was leading Duke to a national championship that season, along with the Plumlee Twins. They ended up winning against Gordon Hayward, who's had, I think, a 10-year NBA career at this point. He was at Butler. God, that's incredible. It's been a minute is what I'm trying to say here, Alex. What would you think of the Tigers coming out with the victory yesterday? I loved it. And uh, for those that want to check it out, go check out my Twitter page at Ferrari101ESPN because I took a lot of uh, uh, in-the-moment shots of BK, and I have one of him covering up his mouth like he did in that that Chiefs (laughs) loss a couple of years ago, which I was hoping we were going to see 2.0 of that. But we didn't. I got BK celebrating. And then, of course, he had his victory cigar right in my face, which was a little bit of a jerk (laughs) thing to do. But, man, watching that for Mizzou, it it was just a weird feeling because we haven't had that, like you said, since 2010. You had it slightly there the season of Michael Porter Jr., and then it kind of all came crashing down for Mizzou. But watching that second half unfold where they were knocking down their threes and the pace was up, a Mizzou team in the past in that situation – I would have said they were going to crumble because um, Utah State made it a little bit closer towards the end of that first half, and you're thinking this isn't good. But that's the will and the strength of Mizzou this season to fight back and come out as a dangerous team in the second half. They were quick. They did a really good job defensively smothering the opponent in Utah State, especially in terms of them shooting the three-pointer. But their big players came up and showed up. Demoy Hodge, Kobe Brown, 
Noah Carter, it was a really fun game. Yeah, it was a hell of a game from Mizzou. And, you know, looking at that defense you're talking about, I mean, you hold Utah State to 16% from behind the arc, and you force 15 turnovers. That was the difference in the game. And, and the, these two teams, it played out essentially as we thought. It was going to be whoever hit their shots, and if somebody could take care of the ball and somebody forced turnovers. And that's how Mizzou wins. And congrats to Dennis Gates. I mean, yeah. talk about a hell of a job to go in there and turn around that program. Guys, I thought we were going to talk about this team once this year. And now we're talking about them on a chance to go to the Sweet 16 as they're going to get Princeton in, in the round of 32. Just a hell of a game. You know, Hodge was great. Kobe Brown. Kobe Brown, to me, the reason they won that game. He went on that little stretch there. I think it was around 10, 15-minute mark. And he went on like a 7-0 run of his own. Started hitting shots, using his size to get inside. He was really good. And, again, just all around great game from the Missouri Tigers. This is what we've expected. You, you mentioned, Alex, we haven't seen this in a while. You're right. But – the thing that this team did consistently throughout the year is they responded. Whenever they were down, they typically had a response. And it didn't always mean that they would come back to win. Like Alabama in the SEC tournament, for example, that game, Missouri played well in that game. And they consistently had responses whenever Alabama would go on their run. And it ended up making it a competitive game, although Missouri lost by 11 in that one. And so yesterday, if I knew anything, it was this. Even if Missouri gets down, which they did, they were losing with nine and a half minutes to go in that game. They've got guys that have been in these spots and they don't get tight. They find a way to be able to get to their shots. And that's when Kobe Brown and Demoy Hodge took over. We talk about this every year getting into the tournament. You've got to have somebody that can get his own bucket. And yesterday, Missouri had two of them. It was Kobe Brown. It was Demoy Hodge. And that's what makes you confident in this team is that they have go-to guys in any scenario and then it's about do one or two other guys step up on a night in night out basis and for mizzou yesterday they had a few other guys that did show up they had uh golston in the first half who was able to put put a bunch of points on the board he finished with 11 in the game noah carter to start out the game great. looked really good he was able to put up 10. so they had those complementary pieces to go along with their stars who ended up combining for 42 points yesterday. That's what you need in a tournament. To your point of getting your own buckets, the the, the nail in the coffin for Utah State was that Demoy Hodge three-point yep. shot in the second half. That was when it was over. And Everybody he, knew it. And he was heavily guarded. And he did the step back and then able to drill that three. I mean, that was a deep three. He hit that one, and you knew Mizzou was going to win. But to the point of you just haven't had this feeling in a long time, BK, when was the last time Mizzou was able to hit clutch shots like that? I mean, 20. 12 would have, been the, would have been the team probably. They, they had a few decent teams there in that like 2012 But it was always like two range. players that were decent players, but nothing beyond they, that. Yeah, they haven't been this deep in a long time. And that's what, like I texted one of my buddies and he said, it's just sports, it's not that serious. I said, no, it, it is that serious. <laughs> I, I really love this Mizzou team. Like it's a really fun team to watch. They've got a ton of great characters on the team. And I've completely fallen for Dennis Gates. Amen. Like this guy was brought in to fix the program to turn it around and we all thought that meant like two to three years maybe we're talking like this about missouri it took him less than a calendar year and he's already advancing doing something that hasn't been done at mizzou in more than a decade it's incredible it's just an unbelievable accomplishment for mizzou they met, they move on to the second round of the tournament they will meet up with princeton huh. who pulled off a 15 seed upset over the two-seeded arizona wildcats guys i told you yesterday I wouldn't pick Mizzou to beat Arizona, but I thought they had a real shot. And what we saw yesterday from Princeton is why I thought Mizzou would have a shot against Arizona. We won't see that game. We will see them take on Princeton. They are a favorite 
in that game to move on to the Sweet 16. Plenty more on Mizzou throughout the day today. But somebody from the text line, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 573. BK to the Illini play yesterday. They sure did. Let's hear some Are highlights. Are you sure? Two seconds to go. Arkansas throws it ahead and moves on ahead. The Razorbacks, the 8 seed. Take down Illinois, 73-63 in round number one. The Razorbacks, back-to-back -back elite eights, and they're just a couple wins away one more time with Kansas dawning on Saturday. Tanner, could I ask you a question, buddy? Yeah, we can go to break. <laughs> did, did you ever feel good in that game? No. You know the ILL, they say? You know what that spells? Ill. And that's what I felt <laughs> like watching that game. That, that was... That was uh, I think pathetic's the nicest way to say it. They, they did not Ouch. shoot the ball well. They Tanner didn't. was more interested in Arizona versus Princeton yeah. than he was watching his team against Arkansas because he knew from, like, basically the jump, Illinois had no shot. They never showed up to that game. Like, no. they didn't even play in that game. No. Arkansas it, just ran the floor. Yeah, the the problem for them is, like, that's, that was the style of game that they are going to have to – Arkansas was going to have to play for Illinois to beat them. That kind of slow, pounded inside. Problem is, is as BK said, they – did not show up. I mean, 38% from the floor, 6 of 22 from 3. And really, the dagger for them, and we we kind of said this in the office before that game, was uh, Meyer is going to be the X factor for this team. He finishes with two points. He could not get going yesterday. 0 of 6 from field, 0 of 5 from three-point range. They had to put him on the bench at the end of the game. This is their best three-point shooter by a country mile. And probably their, I mean, conservatively speaking, third-best player. Um, if we're going to be a little bit more liberal with it, maybe their second-best player, depending on the night. And he just was a complete non-factor. In fact, he was actively hurting the team. Too many turnovers, wasn't engaged, uh, missed every shot he took from the field, finished with two points in the game, only played 22 minutes in the game. If you had told me that beforehand, that was the only piece of information that I had. I would have said there's no chance that Illinois is going to be able to win. And he just didn't show up. This was a disappointing season throughout the regular season for Illinois. You said that all year long, T-Bone. Now that we have, uh, like, finality on their year, this was a true disappointment for them. They did not live up to expectations. And there's going to have to be some real changes to that roster in this offseason. I'll be curious to see what it ends up looking like next year because Brad Underwood has his work cut out for him going into next season. To that point, because I do agree that this was a very disappointing season, they need to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what the hell happened after the beginning of the year. I mean, they had an impressive win versus number eight UCLA at the time. They were able to take down number two Texas, I believe at Madison Square Garden, and they hung in there with Virginia, who was in the tournament too as a uh, three-seed or four-seed, if I remember correctly. So they have to ask themselves what happened because at the beginning of the year, they were living up to those expectations. Two big wins there. And it looked like, okay, they're going to go into Big Ten play and they're going to live up to the expectation as being the second or right in that top of that second tier in the Big Ten. And then for whatever reason, the wheels just came off and they never really recovered. I mean, they have the bad loss. I don't want to call it a bad loss, but they got blown out by Missouri. Yep. And they struggle. I think they go 0-3 to begin Big Ten play. They, they have to look themselves in the mirror and figure out what happened because this was a really disappointing year for a team that I still believe had really good talent. And for whatever reason, they just could not piece it together. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show today. We'll get to ask us anything coming up at 1145. We do have this from the 314. Guys, I hope you had a good time in Alton, Illinois last night. How you all feeling today? Not well. Uh, not good, guys. Not well. We're, we're not feeling well at all. We're I, recovering. I feel fine. I feel like a young pup. 
I don't. Tanner is definitely feeling better this year than he did on the Friday show last oh. year when we were in Alton. I'll say that much. Yeah, I didn't get to bed until like 10 o'clock, so I feel <laughs> awful. <laughs> like, what, are, what are we doing here, guys? Alex was a real night owl last night. Yeah. Going to bed at, checks notes, 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I stayed up to watch some basketball. That's all that matters. This is always one of our favorite trips that we take. We make a little bit of a weekend out of it coming out here to Alton. So if you guys have some time today, come on out, say hello, grab yourself a drink. They've got great food out here. We've got some giveaways going on, including a pair of tickets to see Metallica. So lots to do out here at Max in Everybody's downtown in there. Alton, Illinois. Everybody's in there saying Patty's Day gear. I mean, what more could you ask for, really? It, it's going to be a fantastic day. Excited to see all of you guys out here. I'll be here until 6 o'clock. Alex and T-Bone will be here until 2. Coming up next, well, we got the news that we were all kind of anticipating. Jordan Bennington has been suspended. What are the Blues doing net while he's out? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Backdoor, shoot, score! Hartman. And here, we go, here, we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. And then Bennington's going after Hartman with a stick. And here we go. Here comes Flurry. Here comes Flurry. Yeah, He's coming there he down goes. on Bennington. Flurry's Flurry coming all the way down. Flurry, Flurry looks at Bennington. Yeah, you gotta let go. Oh Let's go. Gosh. You gotta let him go. Holy fight. And a linesman won't let Flurry get in on Bennington. Bennington was willing to go. That's what it sounded like on Wednesday night right here on 101 ESPN, your home for the St. Louis Blues, as Jordan Bennington did his best to be able to fight Marc-Andre Fleury. Prior to that, though, there was the, eh, what would you, you want to call it a, a shot? I mean, it was a stick and a glove to the face of Ryan Hartman, who was celebrating his goal, blindsided him nonetheless. Yeah, so he's suspended two games now. Yeah, uh, not, Jordan not the Bennington, best move. Which what? is, I think, fair. Let's start with vicious, the obvious. Do you guys think that the suspension was reasonable for Jordan Bennington? He has been suspended two games by the NHL. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you missed the the reasoning behind uh, why they had the uh, interview with Jordan Bennington leading up to the suspension, this is what the Department of Safety said. What causes this play to rise to the level of suspension is the act of a goaltender using his blocker in this manner, the retaliatory nature of the blow, the location and force which it lands, and the game circumstance under which it occurs. Yeah, Basically, other, you went into a guy who was who had no idea that you were going to hit him from behind while he was celebrating. Yeah, with your blocker. And stick. <laughs> I texted you guys whenever it happened, and I said, this is hilarious, but that was legitimately dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what he did, like, it, you can't condone it. You essentially high-sticked and cross-checked him in the face. Craig Berube even said after the game, he's like, I, I can't condone right. the blocker to the face. But the rest of it, like, I had no issue with any of that. It was reckless, and he was suspended two games as a result, as he should have been. And now it looks like the Blues are going to be able to use this as an opportunity. When life gives you lemons, you might as well make some lemonade, right, Alex? They're going to give Joel Hofer the start, it looks like, against Washington. That is the way that they lined up in Morning Skate today. Alex, I know you're very surprised by this decision. You thought they would go back to Thomas Grice tonight, and then you thought they might do that back-to-back -back with him because of... Uh, Detroit is the next one up, yeah. right? Why are you surprised that they're going to Joel Hofer? What do you make of the decision? Well, I, I know you can't go back-to-back -back with a goaltender, especially a, a Thomas Grice, so it would have made sense for Joel Hofer, but I was just surprised that 
it just didn't feel like you wanted to put him in a position right now where this team is just playing very poorly defensively, and you got a 22-year-old. It goes back to the quote from Doug Armstrong where we don't want to throw a guy into the ocean with a lead life jacket. Like, we want to make sure that we can put these guys into positions to ex- succeed. So I figured in a Washington Capitals matchup where Thomas Grice got thrown in late because of Bennington in the second period, they would have said, Grice, you can have the whole game. And then, depending on what his workload would have looked like last night no- or tonight, Maybe you look at Thomas Grice again, but I mean, maybe I was just being dumb with this because it does make sense to give Joel Hofer an opportunity. He's 22 years old. Um, I remember talking with Ryan Smith, the play-by-play man for the Thunderbirds, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I would be very surprised if Joel Hofer is starting a game for the Thunderbirds next season. So he's going to be the backup next year. Might as well give him an opportunity, and his numbers back it up with how he's performed in the AHL. I I was just surprised because this team is not playing confidently enough to put a 22-year-old in between the pipes. I I don't mind the decision because I I do want to see him because I said it yesterday when we were talking about the Bennington incident. This is evaluation period time, so why not just see what he looks like? And I get it. It, You're probably not going to be able to evaluate him in just one or two games while he's up here. Uh, but you can get a look to see how he how he looks in between the pipes. So they've only seen him uh, two games last year up here, and that was under, like, emergency conditions. So I, I'm glad to see him do it. It's evaluation period for the St. Louis Blues. I get it. The defense isn't good in front of him, but it's only probably going to be one game. So if this was, like, a 20-game stretch or something like that and you had to rely on him for 15 starts, that's maybe where I would have some of that concern that you have of them throwing him into the deep end. But I, I don't think it's going to be too bad. One game. You'll see what he looks like, and if the defense is bad, that's on them, not on him. Also, he's going to play in front of the, or behind this defense next year, anyways. If he's going to be up here, might as well figure out what he's going to be working with. Like it's, it's not going to be great next year, I, I would imagine. In fact, the overwhelming likelihood is that they're probably going to be a little worse defensively next year than they are right now. Not because of like additions or anything, but. I think they're probably going to remove somebody from the equation. My guess right now would be Tory Krug. I don't know that to be factual, but he makes a lot of sense. He's playing on your third pairing right now. He's making $6.5 million. That's typically not what you would want to do. And they've got Scott Perunovich, who you'd like to see playing in that specific role. Third pairing defenseman, that, power, or that quarterback's your power play unit. So they've got an internal candidate to replace him. My guess, just one for one, Perunovich probably going to be worse than Tory Krug next year. That would be my guess. So, yeah, let's find out. Let's see what Joel Hofer looks like behind this unit. Find out if he can provide a little bit of a spark. The likelihood is he probably won't because nobody can because this is the way that we're going to see this team work this year. And then we move on. Like that, I, I think this is a perfect opportunity for them to be able to evaluate one of their young players the same way that it's an opportunity to evaluate Verona and Kapanen and Torpchenko in a top six role right now. You might as well see what this guy's able to do, and that's what we'll see tonight as the Blues take on the Washington Capitals. Alex, speaking of the Capitals, they're going through a bit of a transition period as well. They traded away one of their better defensemen at the trade deadline. They're kind of doing this retool on the fly because when you have Alex Ovechkin in the late portion of his career, you're not going into a full-blown rebuild. You can't. Like, you have to continue trying to win with him while you can. But they are transitioning. It is a different-looking team now than it was when they were winning their championship. And that's kind of the trend around the NHL right now. You look around the league. As of today, the... Pittsburgh Penguins are struggling in the we- in the East. They would be at the top technically of the wild card standings, but they're in a fight for that spot with the Islanders and Florida, Washington, and Buffalo. 
we just talked about Washington. They're tr transitioning. The Blues are certainly in that transition period. We've already seen the San Jose Sharks completely sell off everything from their contention teams. What are these teams going to look like in the end? And do you think that the Blue how do you think the Blues are set up relative to these other teams that are also going through a bit of a transition right now? Yeah, I mean, you're seeing all these teams that lived off of their superstars and the style that they played start to age out. And now they're going to be playing catch up with all the teams that went through that longer rebuild. I, I mean, right now, the the new teams in the National Hockey League, although I know Boston is still up there, though I don't know what they look like next season when Bergeron and Krejci retire. Um, but you got Toronto who's up there also, but there might be different next year. But the new teams in the East, you're going to be talking about the New Jersey Devils and what they're putting together. And then in the West, you're talking about Dallas and Edmonton and L.A. And if you look at the way all of those teams build, it's speed and it's offense. Doug Armstrong is the type of general manager that likes to build his teams off of how you can take down the top team. Yep. And although Colorado is not playing well this season, Colorado is still the top team no matter what. Because when healthy, they would be running away with this Western Conference because also, nobody's been good. If they win their next game, they're tied with Minnesota for the second best uh, points per game in the Western Conference. And Doug <laughs> has made it very clear. like You don't, you don't build to, to catch Colorado because that's selecting first overall two separate times and getting sure. a couple of other top ten picks. But what you do is you try and put a team together that can combat what Colorado does. And you put speed on that. That's how you go about it. But to combat that, Boston might throw a wrench into all of that because Boston's gone the complete opposite direction of this. Everybody else is going speed and skill. Boston threw all of their assets into their defense, going out there and getting Dmitry Orloff this season and last season, Hampus Lindholm. And then if you look at how Boston plays, Boston doesn't play fast. Boston doesn't play the checking style, but Boston plays smart, solution hockey to where you know exactly where they're going to be going with the puck they're going to win the puck battles and they're going to score goals so as many as many teams are trying to go speed boston might be the outlier especially if they win the stanley cup to where some gms go okay do we go back towards colorado or do we go a little bit what boston's doing i i, I think that's going to come down to does boston maintain this kind of success for a stretch run because what we've seen is speed is having a lot of success in the NHL and a lot of teams are doing it over a, a greater period of time and I think if you're Doug Armstrong I, I think right now the way you build is you continue to try building with speed because one I think it's just how you're best suited with guys like Cairo and Thomas uh, Verana too and then you got the puck movers on defense as well but I think it, I think right now the focus is still Colorado I, I don't think you worry about how Boston is building out east because you're only probably going to see them once in a playoff series, and that is the Stanley Cup final. And at that point, you're using your speed in the Western Conference. I, I think the focus for Doug Armstrong isn't so much of, okay, how is the East going to build if they follow the Boston route, for example. I think it is, okay, how are the top teams in the Western Conference winning? And right now it is still that speed kind of transition game and puck movers on the back end or on the defensive line. Defensive line? Nah, whatever. Same Defense. Thing. But I, I think that's how he's going to build. I, I think he's going to look at it and say, okay, Boston is having success, and they're kind of playing the style we did in, in that 19 cup run, but the rest of the Angels still a speed. I'm going to stick with that speed, and I don't want to get out of that lane until I see everybody push towards it. I think sometimes we make a little bit too much of this, and the reason why is because I think that your identity is based upon whoever, whatever your best player's identity is. Like, what is Edmonton's identity? Well, it's the speed. It's the rush. It's the ability to get out and transition. Why is that? Because they have Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. That, that's how they play. And so I'm going to build my team around those guys. Meanwhile, like, if you're the 2019 Blues, your best players are bigger. They 
play the cycle game. They're, they want to play behind the net. Like Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron were excellent in that regard. Vladimir Tarasenko, like we think of him as the scorer, but he had size. He's, he's pretty physical when he wants to be, and he was able to win that way. So what was the theme of that team? What was the, the, the size? It was the physicality. I think that's how you determine what your identity is, is you're building around your best players. And for the Blues right now, who are those best players? Well, it's Kairou, it's Thomas, and it's Buchnevich. How do they win? It's with the rush. It's with speed. And so now your building process has been identified based on what those players do well. If you were building around a young Ryan O'Reilly again, if you were building around a younger David Perron or Vladimir Tarasenko or your guys with size... I think it would look entirely different, but they're not doing that. They're building around guys with speed, and so I think that's going to be the way that they move forward, and it's kind of predetermined based on who they have ready for that next wave of Blues hockey. So I think that's the way they're going to build. They're going to continue doing that. I think it's the right way to go about building. I think it's true on uh, on the offensive side of it, but you've got to figure out how you want to build the defensive side of it because that's going to be the part of you competing with other teams. Everyone else has got it figured out in the West in terms of what their defense and the identity of that defense is. Like Winnipeg's hard, man. Winnipeg's That's still figuring it out, but Dallas has got it figured out. Colorado's got it figured out. Minnesota's got it figured out. And then you go into the Pacific. Edmonton's now got it figured out with Eckholm and Darnell Nurse. Uh, the LA Kings got it figured out, and Vegas has got it figured out. You've got to figure out defense so that it plays into your offense. And maybe the key to all of that is Scott Perunovich, but you're not going to find that out until next season and if you're able to move one of your defensemen. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues back in action tonight. We'll have pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning at 5 o'clock. Buck drop for that one right here on 101 ESPN at 6. Coming up next, we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2023. At number eight on the list, a guy who could very well finish the season in the top five. We'll tell you who that is next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on PK and Ferrario. Number eight, Tyler O'Neill. O'Neal smokes it. Oh, and he knew it. It's gone. His second home run of the day. O'Neal hits it out to deep left field. Big moment. You got it. It's a home run. Three-run shot. Tyler O'Neal. Yes, at number eight on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for 2023, it is Tyler O'Neal. Alex Adam all the way up at number six on his list. T-Bone did have him at number eight. I was the lowest of the three of us at number nine. If you're new to the segment, the way this works, we put together our lists individually. We average them out, and that ends up being our list of the 20 most important players for the Cardinals. Alex, it was a terrible, no good, very bad season last year for Tyler O'Neill. 
dealt with injuries, was never truly right. Even when you would think that he was starting to get things going, there was some sort of a backtrack with him, whether it was injury-related or performance-related. And at the end of the year, he hit just 228 with an OPS of 700. That was almost exactly league average offensively. With Tyler O'Neill going into 2023, the reason why I had him higher on, or why we all had him so high on our list is just because of the upside. I mean, you don't have to look that far. 2021, at the age of 26, he hit 285 and had a 900 OPS, which was 48% above league average offensively. He was a monster. And oh, by the way, he was basically a gold glove defender in left field. You can't ask for a whole lot more out of that. The upside is still there in Tyler O'Neill. What's a best case scenario look like for him in your mind? Top five MVP votes. I mean, he finished eighth in voting of MVP in that 2021 season, and I think you can get better than that if you're Tyler O'Neill and you can stay healthy. Best case scenario, you know, we always talk about the big three, and going into the season, it's Colchman, it's Arenado, and it's Wilson Contreras. And maybe that's the case, but best case scenario for this Cardinals team is your big three at the end of the season was Goldschmidt, Arenado, and O'Neal, and Wilson Contreras was the fourth best bat because Tyler O'Neill has the MVP caliber. He's got 40 home run potential in him, and that's my best case scenario for him. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think best case scenario is you start to see his name pop up on the MVP ballots again because he can do that. He's a five-tool player, and I think his best spot potentially in the lineup is second, maybe fifth, if he does become that impact bat that you're talking about and kind of put Contreras in that six hole. But I think he's the perfect guy that, you know, he can hit that 30, 40 home runs, drive-in runs. We've seen that he can hit for average when he's right. I mean, he had a 286 batting average in 2021. Oh, and on top of that, he can be aggressive on the base pass if he wants to be. I mean, he had 15 stolen bases. Don't be surprised if, it, if he's healthy and running and with the bigger bases and if it's going to play a big impact like some people are expecting, he could have 20 to 25 stolen bases. He, he is everything you could ask for from a player. I was going to ask, is, could you see a 30-30 season for him? What I just write down? Right uh, at the top of my list. Ferrario, no. you are a it genius. It says 30 home runs, 30 stolen bases, about a 260 batting average. I think that's the best well, case scenario for I Tyler O'Neill. I don't think you're going to get another 285 batting average season out of him. I don't. I think that was the outlier. I think he's always going to be a guy that has a little bit lower of a batting average, and I think you're expecting the power out of him. He has that 30-plus home run ability, and to your guys' point on the stolen bases, I think he needs to make that a bigger part of his game because he can it's their form. Just a matter of staying healthy as he's doing it. Because we've seen this in the past where he ends up like adding that element to his game and then boom, something yeah. happens as he's sliding into second base. Or something pulls in his hamstring. You don't want that. You don't want to be risky. You don't want to be reckless. But sometimes the payoff is worth it if you're able to stay healthy. So that's my best case scenario for him in terms of the numbers. I would also add this. In terms of his role, I think the best case scenario is that he's your everyday center fielder because you trust him defensively and he's hitting either second or fifth in your lineup. I think that's what you're hoping for with Tyler O'Neill this year. And the numbers are just a byproduct of him being that player for you. The worst case scenario is where this gets a little tougher. I think of the worst case scenario is basically last year. I think you saw it play out in front of you last season where he's not healthy, the numbers aren't there, there's other stuff off of the field that's getting to him mentally, he just never totally gets into a groove. And honestly, if that ends up happening, he's probably not a part of your plans going into 2024. Yeah, worst case scenario for me with him, taking injuries out of it, because I, I think that's anybody's worst case sure. scenario for him, is his offense just completely drops off to where you're not getting on base, which, I mean, I don't know how many people are expecting that from him, but the home runs aren't as consistent with him. Kind of what we saw last year from Nolan Gorman, where 
you would hit them, but it would be in spurts, and then you would go silent for two months. For me, worst-case scenario is that, and then he can't fill the void for you in center field to where Lars Newtbar takes it over Dylan Carlson. Honestly, worst-case scenario for Taylor O'Neill is he loses his job, and like BK said, you're not an outfielder for the Cardinals next season. Yeah, that's definitely worst-case scenario, losing the job, but I, I think you're right. I, you're going to see – I think he is a streaky player but he can't have valleys and have them be there Absolutely. for a long time. Because I, I think that was his biggest issue last year because there were times before he got hurt where you could see stretches where you're like, hey, he might be coming around. I remember when he got hurt, I think it was in Boston when he uh, tweaked the hamstring. I said, wow, he's he's looks locked in. He's seen the ball better. He's hitting yeah. it with authority. And then an injury popped up. And then it was another valley when he came back. You're right. He just cannot have those long, sustained periods and have that valley. But I will say this, with the way the outfield is playing in spring training, even if he does have one of those long valleys, he may lose his job for a stretch, but he yeah. would probably be back in the lineup if he gets going again. The Cardinals can fill that valley this year. Previous years, couldn't really do that with their outfield. Does Jordan Walker, is that the reason why? Because of Jordan Walker? And Newt. I think both of them combined. But see, Newt's still, and I guess Walker's an unknown too, but Newt's still like, does he fill that void if he goes quiet? Because Newt went quiet for a while I last guess they're year. kind of different play. Honestly, like, the guy that really should fill the role of Tyler O'Neill if it doesn't come together this year for Tyler O'Neill, at least in terms of the power production, is Nolan Gorman. Yeah. That's because the, maybe the a hope that you're too. getting. Yeah. The, the hope that you're getting out of uh, Tyler O'Neill, it, it really is all kind of baked into that power production. Yeah. I mean, he had a 560 slugging percentage in 2021. If you could have any one number like, hey, replicate one thing that he did in 2021. You can lock that in. You can hit a button, and it guarantees that that's going to happen. That's the one that I would lock in. It's the slugging because that's what this team desperately needs, and he's the one that provides it. They do have other areas, though, now that they can get that from. I don't think that was the case as much over the last couple of seasons. Wilson Contreras brings some of that. I think Nolan Gorman brings a lot of that, and Juan Yepes from the right side also brings some of that. Well, so then you'll bring up you, Lil Poppy. You've got options here, and Jordan Walker could potentially be a part of that as well. Yeah. Alongside Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Ask us anything, sports or otherwise, here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text sign for Ask Us Anything. Sports or otherwise, it's a very different segment than what we normally do with questions and answers. This it's one's true. called Ask Us Anything. You can ask anything let's start with this from the 314 hey guys if you had a choice of watching one of these games on saturday what are you going with the mizzou game the battle hawks game or stl city sc it it's mizzou every day of the week i i mean sorry but one of these games is a postseason game. yeah i mean playoffs versus regular season there's there's no in between with that. Like I'll see City next week. I'll watch Battlehawks next week. Mizzou could be done, or Mizzou could do something that they have done. How many years, BK, to it, make it to the Sweet 16? Last time was what 08. Is that what it was? So it's been what? So that's been like 20, 15, 15 years. 
Math's tough. Math yeah. is very tough I these days, it, specifically today. So, yeah, it's Mizzou. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's definitely Mizzou because it is playoff basketball. It is win or go home. To your point, you can watch the Battle Hawks next week if you only had to do one. You can watch St. Louis City SC the following week. So, uh, to me, it, it's an easy choice. It, it's definitely the Mizzou game. What would be number two for you? For Probably. me, it would be City. Yeah, it would, it would be, be City, City for me, too. But yeah. I, I have not caught the bug for the XFL the way that I know a lot of others have. I think and I'm not saying you shouldn't be interested in it. I know people get upset when I say this. But um, it just hasn't – well, like, you're from KC. So, like, of course you're not catching the Battle Hawks bug. <laughs> okay. Is it, is it because I'm from only I'm not catching yeah, it Yeah, you're from only. Oh, yeah, okay. you're not catching that bug. But, I, I mean, let's be real. City still is undefeated. So, that's the – at least if that was number, if that if I had to choose, it would be the team that's like, okay, can they continue this? Because as great as the Battlehawks have been, you do have a loss and City doesn't. Uh, continuing from the six one eight, guys, do you think that Mizzou will have any shot against Baylor if they end up matching up against them in the Sweet Sixteen? Yeah, we said this earlier in the season when when Mizzou beat Kentucky and Illinois in back to back games. We said they could beat anybody. Now they can also lose to just about anybody, and that's kind of the problem with the way that they play. That's the risk in it. But can Mizzou beat Baylor? Absolutely. They, they certainly can. It's not going to be an easy game by any stretch. But uh, I think Mizzou could. Mizzou has a chance to be able to get to, like, the Elite Eight this year. It, it's going to be a tough path, but they have a chance to be able Especially to Especially if you take down – so you already took down Utah State, who was a very similar team to do. Yep. Now you have the opportunity. If you take down a Princeton team that's riding the ultimate high of taking on a number two seed – you're going to be pretty, pretty feeling pretty good about yourself moving on. So I, I don't think Baylor would be a massive roadblock. The next massive roadblock for Mizzou, although they have to get there, would be Alabama. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, for what it's worth, think that Mizzou can beat Alabama unless something weird. They happens. played them close, but yeah, I'm with you. That that late, that last, the last few minutes of that second half, Alabama clearly ran away with that. Yeah, and that's where I'm. I, I think they could beat just about anybody in the tournament, except for probably. Alabama. Alabama, to me, is the most complete all-around team, and it, it would take, honestly, just probably a really bad game from Alabama to lose to Missouri. Or some kind of foul trouble. Like, yeah. if, if Miller gets into foul trouble, that would play into the game as well. But they're so deep. They're so talented. That's one of the teams that can do a little bit of everything. That's a really tough ask for Mizzou. But I think their ceiling is the Elite Eight, and I think they have a real chance to be able to get there because of the way that things have fallen. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up here in just a little bit. From the 314, guys, when there is high pressure to come up to the plate and hit, who are the Cardinals that you trust going into the season to be in that spot and to come through? High pressure moments at the plate. Who are the guys that you trust the most? So Goldie go and Arenado, yeah. we could just say off the top, 100%, trust those guys. I'll put Contreras in that spot. I think he's done it in the past where he's come up in big situations and have come through. Is it odd that I want to put Brendan Donovan in this conversation? But it's just because he has the ability to battle. I was about to say, I, I trust him to have a professional at bat. I'm not sure if I trust him to drive the runs in, if that makes sense. I Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I mean, I would agree with that because I, I think you could trust him. Like if you needed somebody to get on base, then he would be in that category. I don't know about the driving. And Jordan runs. Walker. I mean, from what Jordan Walker has done, and I know it's minor leagues and spring training, but it all, it all matters, though. Dude is turning on 96 mile an hour fastballs to 104 miles so he might be in that conversation after the first week of the season yeah he's not there yet for me but i think you're right he could be there by the time we get to that for at the end of the first month so i would agree with the first three that we said i i think one other guy that i might throw in there just because we saw a little bit of kind of that clutch gene in the playoffs might be juan yepes but he would be like fourth for me like the mm. other three are obvious candidates i think yepes 
when he's right, can't be the guy that can drive in a run for you. Don't tell T-Bone, but I trust Lars Newbar in those spots. I, I trust think he's Lars the guy more that than rises up to the moment. I trust Lars more than Juan Yapez. Like Juan Yapez, cool. You did it for one game in the playoffs. Well, Lars did it for half a of the second year. half That's of a good. season. Basically, every opportunity that we've seen of Lars Newtbar in Major League Baseball, when he's got sustained playing time, he's been excellent. Yeah, Juan can hold his hat on top of that, but he can also hold it on Albert Pujols, saying that he could be the next Albert Pujols. But I'll go with Lars, who did it for the second half of a baseball season. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. Guys, have we discussed Oral Roberts yet? I know that Alex was very excited to watch them play last night. It didn't go as expected. Look, I had a bad night last night. Um, in and, more ways than one, buddy. In and more I ways than really one. don't want to talk about Oral Roberts these days. So coming up next, we will talk about Oral Roberts, what they did Son to Alex's a, bracket. Come on. And why are upsets becoming so common in the NCAA tournament? It's not just the nine seed over the eight. It's not the classic 12 over the five. You're seeing these 15 seeds being able to take down two seeds seemingly on a regular basis. Why is that happening? We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. seconds he is double slapped at prayer pass picked off by Heed. five seconds Pagase right wing for the win yes 2.2 and timeout Virginia a right wing three by JP Pagase after the team that never turns it over gives it away and it's 68 67 Furman Oloma steadies he shoots the second free throw, back of the rim, no good. Pella Larson, the rebound. The horn is going to sound. The Princeton Magic is alive and well. The Princeton Tigers upset Arizona. 15 over a two, 59-55 is the final score. The Tigers will advance to the second round. That audio courtesy of Westwood One alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. A lot of brackets were busted yesterday as Arizona was eliminated in the first round of the tournament by the Princeton Tigers. It'll be the battle of the Tigers tomorrow between Mizzou and the 15-seeded Princeton right. Tigers. Furman also advancing over the number four seed Virginia. They were a very trendy upset pick, and they were able to make good on those calls. Alex, this is something that's happening more and more often. We're seeing these big-time upsets in a way that we didn't used to see. So I saw this stat yesterday after the Princeton game. There were a total of four 15 seeds that upset, uh, were able to upset a two seed in the first 27 years of the tournament. Four of them. Four 15 seeds, one outright. In the last 10 tournaments, we've seen it happen 10 times, or excuse me, seven times. So the last 10, we've seen seven of them. The first 27, we saw four. What's happening here? Why do you think it is that we're seeing these big upsets happening more often? To me, it's the transfer portal because you get all of these kids who are highly recruited out of high school that go to the school that they originally want to go to and then the role turns into well I'm not used the way that I want to be I want to go somewhere and be the number one guy and then that player hits the transfer portal he goes to his new team and then bada boom bada bing you're talking about teams that are finding ways to be successful that usually aren't that just sneak into the tournament and you're getting these upset plays now I don't think that plays into all of it but 
for me, the transfer portal is the biggest reason why, because so many guys, I mean, look at what we saw as soon as the regular season ended for a lot of these college basketball teams that didn't get into the tournament. There are names flying all over the place of transfer portals. Yeah, I, I think the transfer portal plays a big part of this, and, and not just to the point of that you were saying where you've got really talented kids that don't like their role and are going to these smaller schools to get that starting role. I also think it is some of these other blue blood programs, what they're trying to do is, yes, they're trying to recruit because they can get the four or five stars. Look at Illinois, for example. They're able to recruit well with Brad Underwood. But a lot of teams also are hitting the portal, and if you guess wrong in the portal, it can lead to a disaster of a season. Like, look at uh, Louisville this year. I think they had a couple of transfers, and that team had, like, three wins all season long. So I think it helps the smaller schools because they can get some of those four or five-star recruits that came out of high school that went to the Blue Bloods and then didn't like their role. But I also think sometimes you're seeing some of these bigger schools guess wrong on the transfer portal. Like, look at Illinois, for example. Meyer, Danger, and Shannon were all transfers. And that team, though they got into the tournament, they never really gelled together. It was They did early on, but it was just a mess throughout the whole season. And sometimes that can happen in, in college basketball once you get into the tournament. Still, you may be a 4-5 seed. Maybe there's something that's lacking your game. Defense, we've seen that a lot too. Defenses have been kind of lackluster. Yeah. And I think that's partly because these guys still haven't figured it out trying to mesh together. In international competition for basketball, you see this a lot, where the teams that have played together a lot – will sometimes beat the more talented squads that are just kind of thrown together. The Team USA, for example, has had this issue at times in the past where you've got so many stars that are thrown together, they don't really know how to play together. They are all used to having the ball in their hands, and so it, it becomes a different proposition when you're going up against a team that has role players on it, that knows specifically where they need to be, when they need to be there. Like Spain was this team for a long time in the international competitions. They've all just, they, they play really well together. I think you're seeing that from some of these teams that have been together at the lower levels, the mid-major teams. I mean, you look at this over the last three seasons, we've seen a 15 over a two. It was Oral Roberts, it was St. Peter's, and this year it's Princeton. I think the three-point shot is also a big part of this, and it goes both ways. More teams than ever before are embracing the living and dying by the three, and that can be good and it could be bad. It can help these lower-level teams where – hey, we've got a three-point shot that can help kind of cut into some of our size disadvantages here, but it can also hurt the better teams that are leaning on this now because if you have a bad shooting day, like Arizona yesterday had a terrible day from beyond the arc, that can be the reason why you lose a game. It can go like that, and in the second half, somebody texted in and said, guys, these two seeds feel a lot of pressure as well. I think there's some truth to that. I think that's always been the case, though. But now when you're missing your threes early on, right. you get to the second half, and it's a really tight game. I said this when we were watching it, uh, Tanner. I think that the pressure shifts from the 15 to the two seed very quickly in that second half if it's close with like 10 minutes to go. So I think there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and it's all amounting to us being able to see – I think, the best possible version of the NCAA tournament. Well, and I mean, I know it wasn't a 15 versus a 2 seed, but, I mean, look at the Utah State versus Mizzou game. Like, the, the three-point dictated it. Utah State came out of it with missing everything, and BK, I know you kept saying, like, they're going to hit it sooner or later. They got to it, but it was not to the level that you needed to win a game, and Utah State, who comes into that game thinking, okay, we're probably the favorites in this for how we shoot the three, although Mizzou's a tough team, uh, the the... the 
the pressure shifted from Mizzou being the team that hasn't won a uh, fi- uh, uh, March Madness game since 2012 to all of a sudden Utah State who can't hit a three-pointer. So three-pointers really do make a big difference right now in the game compared to what it used to be. And on that point, it doesn't allow a team to like a two-seed, for example, to potentially run away with the game. Yeah. You can still kind of keep it close. I mean, that's to your point on the momentum shifting there in that final 10 minutes, that, that pressure really mounts on those two-seeds. And if you just kind of stick around, like that Furman game, for example, Virginia was clearly the better team in my mind, and you watch them, they never were able to open it up on Furman. Every time they would get on a little bit of a run, they get up to like 10, Furman would hit a three, big shot, stay in the game. And I think to your point, I think that's that's what we're seeing is these three-pointers, there are smaller schools that are really adapting it and are, are using that as a reason that they can stay in these NCAA terms because Princeton – the first five minutes of that game, I looked at BK and went, well, looks like you're going to see Arizona because they're going to yep. wipe the floor. They were more athletic. They were moving without the ball. Princeton was just standing around, but they then started hitting those shots and then driving to the basket because they're pulling the defense out more. From the 6-1-8, guys, I think it's the one-and-done rule that's done this. The Blue Blood recruits uh, leave after one year, and the smaller schools have seniors that have more experience. If that was the case, I think this would have happened for the last 15 years. I think this is more about the transfer portal than the one and done, honestly, because the transfer portal is what's been introduced that is new. In each of the last three seasons, we've seen this. We've seen the 15 over the two, and we've also seen just these. uh, This is anecdotal. I don't have the numbers to back this up, but it feels this way. The higher seeds, the 13 plus, feel like they're closer to the top end of college basketball than they have been previously. The number that I can put behind that, I know from Ken Palm, their best teams in the country this year were significantly worse than they have been in previous seasons. And what I mean by that is basically like your Alabamas, Houston's, uh, Kansas's of the world. They just weren't as high level of like number one seeds as we've seen previously. They weren't as big a favorite. So um, I, I think that's part of this as well. John Gassaway of ESPN.com on the three-point shot um, being such an important factor. After 20 NCAA tournament teams, the winning teams are shooting 38% from beyond the arc. Losing teams are shooting 27%. There's your stat. If you can do one thing well in the NCAA tournament, and it's hard to predict, you got to be able to shoot. you got to be able to shoot from beyond the arc. All right, final thing on the NCAA tournament for today before we continue on. Guys, we've got two games in action right now. They're both very close. USC is tied with Michigan State in the 10-7 matchup in the East region. That's at 34, tied at 34 at the half. Uh, Kennesaw State is tied with Xavier, uh, 25 all, with about eight minutes to play in the first half in that one. What are the games that you're most looking forward to today, Alex? Is there anything that immediately stands out that you're like, man, I, I, I can't wait to watch that one specifically? Uh, I got to be honest with you guys. March Madness is just kind of not fun for me anymore. How come, buddy? Um... What happened? Well, Oral they, Roberts did really well yesterday. Yeah, they uh, they did really well at not making baskets. They uh, what did they shoot? They shot twenty five percent from the three point. That's yeah. not well, recipe for success. Learned, you're not going to win that. Well, way. that's very true, and that's why my bracket is completely busted. So I'm kind of out on this uh, March Madness the rest of the way. Well, I don't have a perfect bracket, but I I still like some of these. Got pretty close today. to one. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Yeah. Uh, my bracket's going. Oh, my hey, bracket's going real T-Bow. well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's calm down over there. Uh, but only missed two games so far. Eh? When, I, when you're okay, right, we you're got right, it you know? all right, yeah, Ratty. Yeah. Oh, come the, on. I, listen, I, I picked nothing right in the NFL, but you know, I <laughs> yeah, watched a solid 12 true. college basketball games this year, and my bracket's looking good as a result. Uh, the games that intrigue me the most today, Drake-Miami. I think Drake-Miami's going to be a really a good one. game. I think all of us on the – do we all have Drake? I know I do. Yeah, I, took I know Drake. you do. Uh, the other one, too, and I think we, bo- me and BK had this. I don't know about you, Ferrario. Kent State is going to be one that I think they can give – 
Indiana run for your money. Also, Arizona State building momentum off the first four against TCU, and one that's kind of flying under the radar. Gonzaga Grand Canyon should be a lot of fun because those are two high-powered offenses. Honestly, Creighton NC State's going to be an entertaining one for me because I've seen a lot of brackets that has Creighton going all the way to yeah, the Elite where Eight. Where is this NC State love coming from, though? I've seen a decent number of people that have NC State as like this trendy upset pick suddenly. I don't see that at all. I, I love Creighton in that game. I, I think NC State's highly overrated. I've seen a lot of uh, brackets, uh, at least on social media, that has like Creighton making it past um, – the Elite Eight challenging Alabama, and like that's They're the part really good. that's the part that surprises me. But I mean, who could you know? And then I guess you're also looking at the intrigue of Baylor Santa Barbara when they could be taking on Mizzou to watch that. But again, Creighton NC Go State. Go UC Santa Barbara. I've been a lifelong UC Santa Barbara fan right here. Can you even tell me where UC Santa Barbara is? Well, it's in Santa Barbara. So no, it's not. I would, no, that it's is one not. That I think California, I get. I'm pretty sure. If it was anybody else, I would just guess they're from one of the Carolinas. But, yeah, I think UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> is that what happens Santa when you have no idea where the school is? You're like, nah, South Carolina. Well, that's where all the basketball schools are from. We discussed this yesterday. Yeah. Did we? <laughs> no, listening. I was on the fast lane. game that I'm most looking forward to is St. Mary's versus VCU. It tips off coming up at about 1 o'clock. I am very excited about that one. I think it's two completely different styles of basketball. I think St. Mary's has a real chance to be able to make it to the Final Four. Like, I think that highly of them. I also have no idea if they're going to be able to get out of the first round because VCU is a tough, tough team. Uh, so that's one of the games that I am most looking forward to as well. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Time for some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN in about 10 minutes or so. We'll tell you about Paul DeYoung. Is he at risk of being Wally Pipped on the Cardinals roster? We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But first, we continue with the story that seemingly will never end. It's Aaron Rodgers, who may or may not be going to the New York Jets at some point. We all anticipate the move happening, but we're not totally sure as to when the move will take place. So he's done with the Packers. We know that much, right? In the end, the Packers with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers had those quarterbacks for a combined 31 years. Wow. Those guys made 21 Pro Bowls. They were on an all-pro team seven different times. They won seven different MVPs. And it amounted to just two Super Bowl championships and one other appearance. Alex, when you look back at the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers era, 476 regular season games started by those two over the last 30 years. How do you think it's going to be remembered by NFL fans, media, Packers fans alike? Packers fans, uh, I got to imagine you enjoyed the good times more than the bad, right? I mean, you get a Super Bowl out of it, or multiple Super Bowls, I guess, out of it, but you also uh, have all of the success that those two had as Packers. So that side of it on the Packers portion, it's got to be good vibes more than anything. But everything else, it, it's hard for a common NFL fan for me to think that they look at that and say, oh, yeah, two guys that were uh, dominant in their time with the Green Bay Packers. Because you go to instantly the bad with that, right? Like you're instantly going to think of Brett Favre and uh, all of the 
nuances that took place while he was there, especially towards the end of it, and then you remember him getting real nasty towards the end, and then now with the Aaron Rodgers. So I feel like this taints kind of what they did at the beginning and throughout their tenure with Green Bay. I, I think you have to look at it almost as a disappointment in my Agreed. mind because, I mean, only two Super Bowl wins with those two Hall of Fame quarterbacks for that long, that's disappointing. Now, yes, you got to a handful of conference championship games and you appear in the Super Bowl three times, I mean, look at other teams that have had a great run with only just one quarterback. Look at what the Chiefs are doing with Patrick Mahomes. I expect they're going to win probably one or two more Super Bowls with him. Tom Brady, his run in New England. Now, I'm not saying they should have won seven Super Bowls, but he had a better uh, success story in New England. They had two guys of that in back-to-back runs. Not many teams get that right. A lot of teams have to go through a long transition period when their franchise quarterback leaves. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example. Not sure they're going to get to the same level with Kenny Pickett. The fact that they were only able to get two Super Bowl wins feels really disappointing. Especially with the talent that they had also. I mean, you think, like, the the Jordy Nelsons, the Devontae Adams. I mean, when when Ryan Cobb was actually, like, good and in his prime. Like, you had a lot of talent around those guys for a long year. James had some really good seasons with them. They've had some really good players, and... They've had a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, too, that's just gone wasted. Yeah. Like, there are just years where, whether it's schematically, injuries, whatever, they just don't live up to expectations. I think this has to be considered as a, a disappointment. You got the same number of championships in the Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre era as the Steelers did with Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger was a very good quarterback, a future Hall of Famer. He was not Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. He's, he's not the same caliber of player as those guys were. I think it has to be considered a disappointment. It's not a failure but it is definitely disappointing. Honestly, it's very similar to the Illinois basketball season. Not a failure, but disappointing nonetheless. But is it a failure? I, I didn't you think have we had the... to go back to the <laughs> Illinois basketball season. The team well, I was going to mention is it reminded compliment. me of kind of the Cubs, where it was like, hey, it's supposed to be this dynasty, and then you look back on it, it's like, oh, was it really? You only had one championship. But that's the part that I guess I, I struggle with, because you did have all of those MVPs and all of those top of the mountains, and I mean, despite not winning it, yes, you still made the play. I mean, it was rare that they missed the playoffs. There, there is definitely something to be said about sustained success. We talk about this a lot with the Cardinals, where it's like, hey, would you give up what the Cardinals have to take on, like, the Giants, for example, these teams that it was the Red Sox, where it's peaks and there's a lot of valleys, and those valleys are low, man, and it hurts, and it's a full season where it just sucks to watch your team. That's brutal. It sucks the life out of you. The Packers really haven't had to deal with that in 30 years. It's one of the reasons why I'm super excited to see what it looks like with Jordan Love there because once you don't have that quarterback, as Patriots fans have lived over the last few years, man, life changes a lot. And the only thing that matters for your organization is finding the next guy. Mm -hmm. So I am curious to see what that looks like for, for Green Bay. But somebody on the text line says, as a Packers fan, I find it funny when people say they only won two Super Bowls. How many franchises would kill for two in that span? Man, I hate to be their bearer of bad news. There's a lot of franchises that just had a better, if you're just looking at the peaks, a better 30-year stretch than the Packers did. Dallas, because of what they did in the 90s, had a better 30-year stretch. Denver had a better 30-year stretch. The 49ers probably had a better 30-year stretch. Pittsburgh, the Giants, uh, Baltimore, arguably. Maybe you could put Seattle into that category. Uh, did I say New England? New England, definitely. I, I think the Chiefs could be in this category as well. Like, we're getting to 10, 12 teams that I think you might take over the Packers, at least for their playoff successes. That's disappointing when you have two of the best quarterbacks of the last 30 years. 
I'd agree with you. I mean, when you look at those teams, uh, it's just fascinating that they, they couldn't get to that point. And I don't uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. They didn't have anybody that I can remember was like, I can't believe they've got to go through them. Like in the AFC, like with Pittsburgh, for example, with Big Ben, or the Colts when they had Peyton Manning, it was always, okay, man, our team's been really good, but it's tough to go through Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. Was there anybody like that in the NFC? That's where I feel like the disappointment comes into play because you can enjoy the success where you were always making the playoffs, but the disappointment comes through when you're getting beat by teams you shouldn't be getting beat by in the playoffs. beat by Atlanta. Uh, You had that Carolina season. Um, Giants we've seen a couple recently of years. the Rams have been pretty good, Bucks pretty good. The Eagles have had some moments. Uh, I mean, it's just it turned over. It, it felt like every team had like a two to three year stretch. Seattle had that run. Like every team had like a two to three year stretch, and the Packers were just the team that was always kind of there. How much of that's on the coach? Go, I mean, a decent amount of it. Because McCarthy, like I think, Mike is McCarthy an for a long overrated time. coach because yeah. he was tied to Aaron Rodgers for so long. I think he's fine, but I don't think he gives you like any sort of schematic advantage. Um, but I don't know. It, it's a weird thing because they had so much success, but I think it should be considered a bit of a disappointment given what they had at the quarterback position. All right, as we continue on with some NFL quick hitters, the Bengals made a significant investment, guys. I think this is a super interesting signing that they made with Orlando Brown Jr. Now, I'm too close with this. I'm a Chiefs fan. I saw Orlando Brown Jr., the good, the bad, everything that comes along with him. The Bengals signed him for four years and $64 million. We know how much they desperately needed to upgrade their offensive line. This is a big piece. It's the biggest investment that they've put into the offensive line. Alex, is this the missing piece for Cincinnati in your mind? Uh, Yes and no. Yes in the sense of you needed to fix your offensive line and you needed to get a cornerstone piece. And I know you're not sold on the Orlando Brown as that guy, but heck, it's better than what you had last season if you're the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's somebody you can rely upon in Orlando Brown. But I still, like, the missing piece now is what are they going to do with the running back? Because you've got the weapons on the offensive side. Defensively, I guess you took a little bit of a hit because of the free agency. You updated offensive line, but you don't know what you're doing with Joe Mixon, and you walked away from Samaj P. Ron. And you could probably fill that void pretty easily with free agents. Maybe it's Zeke. Maybe it's some type of trade. But this is a massive step forward for Cincinnati because that was their biggest weakness all season long was how do they stop Joe Burrow having to to, to scuffle around and stay on his feet and, and not get sacked so much. Yeah, I, I don't know if I view him as the missing piece, but I do think he helps them uh, improve a, a big step because now they're going to be able to keep Burrow upright. I, I just don't know if I can say that that one signing is the reason I'm going to take them to win the Super Bowl. Like sure. I still think they're a step behind uh, Kansas City and Mahomes. I think they're a step behind in... Uh, I, I would put Buffalo still ahead of them. I, I still like Buffalo. I know Josh Allen turns the ball over a lot, but I don't think that they have done enough with just this signing to say, okay, that's the piece that was missing. Now we're going on the Super Bowl ride. I think it might be. I think it might have been the missing piece, man. They, they for so many years have had, or really the last three years or so, have had so many issues along the offensive line. And for all of my frustrations with Orlando Brown Jr., he is a really solid left tackle. Like, if you have him, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You're going to have two or three plays every single game where you look at it and you say, we have to upgrade that spot in our offensive line. The problem is, like for other teams, for the other 30 dropbacks, he's pretty good. He's going to keep your quarterback upright. And if you're the Bengals, you look at it and you're like, so we can have a franchise-caliber left tackle for $16 million for the next four years. Yeah, sign us up. I love it. I think it's an excellent signing for them. It's the kind of move that the Bengals have not made in the past. They've been notoriously cheap in free agency and almost never guarantee money past the first year. I think it's a really smart signing, and it does, as a Chiefs fan, make me a little nervous about going up against them next year. Good for the Bengals because 
for the longest time, they had that left tackle in Andrew Whitworth, and then, of course, they never had the quarterback with them yep. because it was Andy Dalton, and it just never meshed correctly, or maybe it was the head coach issues. But then they finally get their quarterback, and you struggle to find the left tackle. It, for the first time in, like, what, 20 years for this team, they, they actually have both. So one of the things that we've been waiting on is what the quarterback movement looks like this offseason. Rodgers is obviously the biggest fish in that pond, but there were other veteran quarterbacks available as well, notably Jacoby Brissett, Baker Mayfield, Taylor Heineke. Three teams are kind of putting their plans behind those guys. So the Washington Commanders are going with a duo of Sam Howell, last year's fifth-round pick, and Jacoby Brissett. Those two are going to compete for the starting job in Washington. Tampa Bay, whoo, buddy, this is rough going from Tom Brady to this. Kyle Trask will compete with Baker Mayfield for the starting quarterback <laughs> nah, job this net, year net. in Tampa Bay. <laughs> net, net. And then Atlanta is going Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke. Albert Bree wrote this about it. He said, we mentioned this a few weeks ago. There were some teams that planned to go economical at quarterback, pairing an affordable veteran with a young guy, and these are the three spots where it happened in the most significant way. Let me translate the economical at quarterback. It translates to tanking for Caleb Williams yep. because – that is not a solution at quarterback. I feel bad for the Washington Commanders. I feel bad for Terry McLaurin. He doesn't deserve this, man. Why's he got to deal with this in his career? He's got Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke, Jacoby Brissett, and Sam Howell throwing him passes. Can we get that man a quarterback, please? They had one in Taylor Heineke, at least a decent one, and then they kept going away from him. I still don't understand why Atlanta is balking at the uh, Lamar Jackson price. See, I actually Same didn't. Same with Washington, but because, being honest. Yeah, Atlanta, Atlanta, I think, is because they want Caleb Williams. But I actually didn't mind Atlanta's move of Taylor Heineke because it does seem like they want to give Desmond Ritter, Ritter every opportunity to be their quarterback. He's not great. Well, <laughs> it's, it's not going to work. It's fine, He's man. not the guy. Like, sometimes you just know. Yeah, this, this was a second, third-round pick that isn't going to end up working out for us. And that's fine. You, you threw the dart, and it didn't hit. It, it, it missed the board entirely. You move on, and you see what you can get. And Lamar Jackson's exactly the type of guy that you move on to because you know he's a top-ten quarterback in the NFL. It, it's baffling to me. I don't understand it's not going it, to happen, buddy. Nobody wants to go after Lamar I Jackson. Know, he's I not know. good enough. All right, final thing as we go through NFL quick hitters. Guys, do you see this Jalen Carter story? And no, I'm yeah. not talking a story where he ended up pleading no contest uh, and will not serve any jail time for what took place with the, the racing in Athens. I'm talking about how he weighed nine pounds heavier at his pro day than he did last month at the Combine. And then he was not able to finish positional drills because he was cramping and, quote, breathing heavily. Sounds like Tanner. Yeah. Probably wasn't hydrated enough. <laughs> I know this sounds terrible, and I can't even believe that I'm saying it, but it's the truth. The off-field stuff, based on the way that the NFL views it, was probably cleared up when he was able to put some finality to it with pleading no contest. They, they know, NFL teams do now, there's nothing more that's going to come from that. They can't prosecute anymore on Jalen Carter. This is the kind of thing that'll get him to drop in the draft, even more so than the off-field stuff. Nine pounds? Nine pounds in a month? That is not his game, and that is a little bit concerning. I, I'm I'm curious to see where he ends up going in this year's NFL draft. Stultz, He's the best player. He's the most talented player. Stultz brought this up yesterday on the fast lane. Um, I, if he drops, he drops to number nine. This screams Chicago Bears because you have nothing on defense, um, and, you know, you kind of moved on from some of those guys last season. Now you've got your offense figured out. 
this screams Chicago Bears. And I wonder if Chicago trades up for him eventually. Maybe too. It worries that he that he gets selected before that. I could see that. The one that Stoltz brought up saying that if he dips this far, he'll go is to the Eagles at ten. Yep. To fill the void there. I I, I still and you're reunite him with his old pairing mate with Jordan Davis. Make a lot of sense. Here's the other thing though. I don't know if he drops that far because somebody's got to be looking at this saying we can work with that. I mean, how many projects do teams take on where? Maybe the off-field stuff doesn't look the greatest, and they say, let's take a shot at this. Maybe not for a talent level like this that you'd be selecting him top three, but it would be very surprising to me if he makes it below top six. Do you remember Robert Kimbiche? It might have been before you a little bit, T-Bone. But Robert Kimbiche was like the top overall prospect in all of college football going into college and then was pretty productive at Ole Miss, was considered one of the like can't-miss defensive tackle prospects. And then there was just, like, a bunch of stuff that came up in his pre-draft process. He, like, jumped out of a window uh, while running away from cops. Like, it, there was just a lot of stuff around. I thought he was just an evil Knievel fan. <laughs> there was a lot of stuff surrounding Robert Kimbiche. And he ended up going, I think, late first um, to the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, he was selected 29th overall. Wow. I don't think you'll see a drop like that for Jalen Carter because I think Carter is a better player than Kimbiche ever was. But I could see something if this continues where he ends up going 9, 10, 12 overall how, instead of being in the top three like we all expected. I completely forgot. How far did Laramie Tunsil drop after all of his stuff? He was like Seven. 20. Oh, I thought he went still top 10. I did where too. Where did he end up going? Because I thought it came out after he was drafted. It was, like, no, it was before. It was the night. night of the draft that he ended That's up going. It was my, 13th overall. Okay, I didn't so, think he went top or down to the 20s. I don't know if it goes that far for Jalen Carter. But that's kind of who I would comp it to of what Laramie Tun- and I know Laramie Tunsil and what Jalen Carter have gone through two different things. But the gas mask now would probably get yeah. moved up a board as opposed to down, <laughs> probably for some specific teams. But uh, that that's what I would say in terms of drop off for Jalen Carter. But again, I I don't if Chicago's sitting there at nine and they don't trade up. I, I think they'll jump on this opportunity because that's the perfect player that they would want. Yeah, he- you look at the football, you look at the tape on film, and to your point, you just go. Okay, maybe that was just he didn't have the right trainer with him. He's yeah. going to be in our hand. We'll be able to we'll make sure that. we'll work with that. The talent on the field is too good for us to pass up. I think he drops a little bit, but I don't think it's a lot. To your point, I don't think it's going to be like down to the late first. No. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. First round action is continuing in the NCAA tournament. Michigan State up 45-40 to 40 against USC. There's about 15 minutes left to play in that one. We do have our first upset watch of the day as Kennesaw State is up at the half, 43-36 to 36 against three-seeded Xavier. That is at the half, oh, and we, we are just Xavier? tipping off between Baylor that and UC so good, Santa Barbara, oh. which is, of course, located in Santa Barbara. California. 4-2 for that one. <laughs> Baylor <Jose>. over <laughs> UC Santa Barbara. Very early, about 17 minutes left in the first half, just about two minutes to play or played so far in that one. We'll keep you updated on all of the latest as we're broadcasting live at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. Come on out, say hello, grab yourself a drink, watch all of the NCAA tournament action today, celebrating, of course, St. Patrick's Day out here as well. Coming up next, is Paul DeYoung at risk of being Wally Pipped while he's out of the lineup? I don't think so. We'll explain why coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois for the rest of the show today. We'll be here until 2 o'clock. Anthony Stalter and the Fast Lane start at 2. I'm pulling the double duty today as Alex Ferrario did so admirably a day ago. I'll be here with you guys until 5 o'clock when we get to Blues pregame coverage. All right, Alex, let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals because Paul DeYoung is still in a holding pattern. This comes from John Ditton, who covers the Cardinals for Cardinals.com. He said uh, DeYoung, who was scratched from Tuesday's game with back pain, is working out daily in the weight room, and Ollie Marmel said there is not an injury setback, but he's still not ready to return to game action. While he's out, Mason Wynn is continuing to perform. Mason Wynn today came up with the bases loaded, and he hit a triple, a bases-clearing triple for the Cardinals. Uh, John Dinton said it was a ball into the left center gap. He, quote, easily made it into third standing up. Love that guy. <laughs> He's starting to show some real power. He now has a double, two triples, and two home runs in just 33 at-bats throughout spring training thus far, guys. That was the biggest question mark on Mason Wynn is can this guy actually have real power? I don't think that we're at the point of Mason Wynn like cracking the opening day roster with the Cardinals. I think that is like one step, maybe two steps too far. I do think it is starting to be time to ask the question, though, of is Paul DeYoung going to make the opening day roster? Can you make the club from the tub, so to speak? Because he's in the tub a little too often right now. Do you think that Paul DeYoung's spot is at risk? I don't because of what we've talked about. He's, his roster is the 13th man. And I just don't know who fills that spot for this team because you're not going to do that with Mason Wynn despite what people say of, oh, look at Mason Wynn. He's not going to get on this roster, so don't get your hopes up too much. Um, and then beyond that, like, maybe an Alec Burleson, but if I'm the Cardinals, don't you just want Alec Burleson to get more at-bats because if you need him for a long-term uh, at some point this season and you've already made the decision on a guy like Moises Gomez, maybe an Oscar Mercado can slide into that spot. But to me, the Cardinals are going to look at this and say he's the 13th man. He's dealt with his injuries. Maybe we start him on the season on the IL so that we can carry that extra player. And then when he's ready to go, we'll give him that opportunity. So if he's going to get Wally Pipped, he's going to get Wally Pipped in the middle of the season. It's not going to be at the beginning of spring training. Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll get Wally Pipped at the beginning here just because I don't think anybody else has played well enough to take that spot. And, and though it is frustrating, you haven't gotten to see the new swing from Paul DeYoung which if Burleson was playing well, and he's, he's picked it up a little bit here of late, but his numbers still are not good in spring training. Had Burleson been playing well, I do think Paul DeYoung would have to show that his swing has changed and that there is improvements for him to make the opening day roster. But because they don't really have that and, and Burleson hasn't really taken his job, I, I don't think you have to, I don't think DeYoung has to worry about it. He'll get back, he'll get probably 10 games in, and then he'll be on the opening day roster. I, I just don't think anybody's played well enough to force the Cardinals' hand to take him off the roster, and they don't really have anybody else in the middle infield that's done it either. I know I mentioned Burleson, but Fermin, who's on the 40-man, has not played well, and he's really the only other guy that I would look at that could possibly have taken that spot. And, like, Kramer Robertson's played well, but they're not going to free up a 40-man roster spot for him when he was already on the 40-man and they DFA'd him. Well, so, you're using that 40-man roster spot that you've already cleared up for Jordan Walker. More yeah, you'd have to send somebody else either DFA them, put them for their waivers, whatever. The guys that are battling for that last roster spot right now, my, my guess... Paul DeYoung, Alec Burleson, Taylor Motter, Oscar Mercado. You can take Motter off that yeah, list. I, you can take Motter off I that I think list. you can take all of them other than Alec Burleson and Paul DeYoung off the list, honestly. And I don't think that Alec Burleson has earned an opportunity this spring 
for the Cardinals. He's batting 167. He's getting on base 25% of the time, and he has zero power that he's shown so far. He has yet to have an extra or a, a triple or a home run in, in the spring. Like he, he just hasn't done enough. He hasn't earned an opportunity. So I know that people are frustrated and they've had enough of Paul DeYoung, and this is certainly adding to the frustration with him not performing in camp because he's hurt. But he's going to be the 13th guy on the roster, and as long as he's healthy, he's going to be on the opening day roster because they don't have an obvious alternative. If they had somebody else, if Jose Fermin was performing, if Alec Burleson was tearing the cover off the ball, that forces your hand. And it, it makes them consider, okay, do we, do we wipe, our clean, wipe our hands clean of Paul DeYoung? Nobody's done that, and so I don't think that they end up making that move. Did you miss your opportunity, if you're the Cardinals, to bring somebody else in on like a spring training in, spring training invite to fight maybe for that third Like a Jose Iglesias? Jose Iglesias, or I mean, I know he signed, but... Um, he, he was the guy, though. If, you, if I'm looking for that one guy... But even guy, him, like he's going to be wanting more at-bats. I'm talking about a dude who would fight for a 13th man roster spot who actually, like what Corey Dickerson was last year, somebody who could actually contribute one or two times a week. I think that's Burleson, though. Like, th their hope is that eventually Burleson becomes that guy. He just hasn't shown it so far in spring, so it's really hard to, like, evaluate whether or not he's going to yeah. be that guy right now. Um, but I, I think that the problem for the Cardinals, and the, the, I think that John Mozeliak has mentioned this previously, those guys that you're talking about, they're looking for playing time. And in the roster spot, and this is why I don't think it's a big deal that, that Paul DeYoung is on the roster, in this spot, he's not going to see the field very often. And anybody that signs here knows it. They can play the math game the same way that we can. You can look at the roster, look at the outfielders, look at the middle infield. There aren't at-bats to go around for Paul DeYoung's spot on the roster. So the best-case scenario for them is to just bring Paul DeYoung on the roster into spring, into opening day with them. And I don't think they would have had the issue of DFAing DeYoung had Burleson played well because, as we've seen, it happened yesterday. Donovan was at shortstop. He's taken ground balls at shortstop. So in a pinch, if they had to, and this is where, to your point, he might be Wally Pipped as we get into the season. If Burleson starts playing well, DeYoung struggles offensively, maybe they do wipe their hands clean and then bring up Burleson. Donovan can be your backup shortstop in a pinch. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Last thing here uh, that I wanted to get to with you guys, because The Athletic is running a... A, a daily sort of feature on extension candidates across Major League Baseball as we head into the 2023 season. Today they put one out and they included one Cardinal on the list and it was Miles Michaelis. We've talked about this a million different times, whether it be Michaelis or Montgomery, who's the guy that you could potentially see the Cardinals extending going into the opening day. I think Michaelis is a guy that makes a lot of sense. They said three years, $45 million is what they would project it to be if he were to sign uh, an extension right now. They added this. Out of every deal that I've proposed, this is the one that feels the easiest to come together. It's a good price for Michaelis. He is a mid-rotation type of produ producer every year, and it locks in earnings for Michaelis through his age 37 season. Alex, let's start with you. If you were presented as John Mosellock an opportunity to re-sign Michaelis for three years at $45 million, so $15 million per year, would you do it? Now. I, I don't think I would. I don't think I would because three years would worry me for a Miles Michaelis as he's going to continue to get up there in age and somebody who already had an injury uh, that has plagued him for basically two seasons. It, it would make me very concerned um, to give him a three-year deal. And I know the uncertainty with that bullpen right now, but I, I don't think I would. 
three years. If it was two years, I probably would do it. But three years makes me worried. I, I would say I would do that contract extension in a heartbeat. I, I, I think Miles Michaelis, he's Montgomery will be interested to see as the season goes along. But I know what I'm getting out of Miles Michaelis. And injuries are always going to be something to worry about with starting pitchers. But when you look at Miles Michaelis, you know if he's healthy. The best-case scenario is essentially what you saw in 2018 and last year. And worst-case scenario, he's going to be a guy that takes the ball, and it's going to look a lot like 2019, make 32 starts through 184 innings. And sure, he may have a little bit of higher ERA in the fours, but that's nothing that's going to kill you. He's always going to be a guy that's going to take the ball, and he's going to give you probably six innings every game, and you can count on that. The health, I wouldn't be too concerned about. Three years, it's not a long-term deal. So I I would be willing to do it, and it doesn't bake the I would do it because of how much uncertainty you have in your rotation beyond this season. And I think Michaelis brings more certainty to that spot in the rotation. We also have talked about this a few different times. These young guys that are coming up and performing for the Cardinals, the fact that they're doing that on their rookie entry-level deals also opens up some payroll flexibility, which makes that $15 million really not hurt that much over the next few seasons. So if Michaelis came to me and said, hey, I'm willing to do this today, I think I would sign him to that three-year deal worth $45 million. That feels worth it to me. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we're getting back to the NCAA tournament with Mizzou. How far can they realistically get in this tournament? We'll talk about that. The best case scenarios for the Tigers coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The Junk Drawer is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Time to dive into the junk drawer. Tanner Hendrickson, what do you have for us today? Guys, we are in the new age of movies. You know, in the... 60s, it was cowboy movies. Now it's Marvel. We are in the new age of movies, boys, because just announced the director of BK and Ferrario's favorite movie now, Cocaine Bear, is going to be directing a movie called Cocaine Shark. Oh, God. This is Sharknado. Yeah, this is different. No, it's the same thing. It's really not. There's an accident in the lab. Somehow creates a ton of cocaine sharks. Let me know. It's going to be great. So it's the Hulk. It's the Hulk mixed with Sharknado. That's what this is. Yeah. Let me know. The accident in the the lab is somebody left a line out for the shark to snort. What are we doing here? And to get you guys even more excited, the next movie in this wave will be Attack of the Meth Gator. What? I was just going to say, let me know when we get to the meth animal. We are. Never mind. We're getting there. We are set. BK and Ferrario, as a show, support this new movement of movies that is taking the world by storm. Now, it it has been stated that Hollywood has run out of ideas. You think? <laughs> meth Gator? Really? I think this is Lake Placid just adding in meth. If you were trying to make that case, I think you could use this to definitely be a supporting argument. No, no. Are you, this is Hollywood coming up with its Did best you, have ideas you even in a while. seen Cocaine Bear? No, but... I've actually heard it was quite an uh, I have entertaining. Too. I this is the problem with movies like this. It does so well and causes more. Well, that's part of it. It's like, can we just let a good thing be? A cocaine bear worked. You did well. It ended up being a success, despite the fact that it's a movie about a bear that does cocaine. Like, rather than do we need to make three more of those? Yeah, like rather just just let the one lie. Just let it be. Or no, I mean, that would be a missed opportunity. 
This is awful. This is awful. I think we got to go see all of them now. No, I'm not. You know what? I'm not even. Next no. year, this time, if we are back here in Alton, you know what we're going to do? Instead of going back to the Airbnb and watching basketball, we are going to watch Cocaine Bear, and then we're going to watch whatever this one was called, and then we're going to watch We didn't make it very Beth far Gator. in our movie last yeah. night, buddy. BK got all excited to want to watch Top Gun with all of us, and he made it five minutes before he got tired. I, I don't even know that I made it five. I went I to bed before. Four when BK got all excited about Top Gun, I said, I'm out, boys. Meth Gator. This like, will can keep we you awake because it's action Can we at least packed. do like some alliteration, like a moxicillin alligator or something like that? <laughs> That's not an alliteration either. What are you talking about? It is. Two A's. Alliteration. Moxicillin alligator. You got you on that one. Okay. Look it up. The thesaurus dinosaur. What do you, don't even know what What do you guys are. think Cocaine Bear ended up making? I mean, it did pretty well. It had so. to have made money because I guarantee it was low budget. Yeah, I would say 150 million. No way, 65 mil. As of March 15, I think it did better than you're expecting. Cocaine Bear has grossed 53 million dollars in the oh. United States. Worldwide, 68 million dollars. That's terrible, by the way. <laughs> Worldwide, they only made like an extra 50. That's because everybody in the world looked at it and said, "God, this is what America comes up with no, with movies." No, this is this is people not getting out to your movie theater. Go support your local movie theater. I'm not going to go spend drop, some time no, with the family. No, I'm not going to learn about the cocaine. I'm there. not going to go drop 80 dollars to go to the movie with my family. So, hey guys, let's go see Cocaine Bear. It's just based on a true story. Let's maybe. No, it's not. It's like a history class. It is totally not. It is based on a true story. Why? Because cocaine fell out of somebody's pocket and the bear ate it no, and it became crazy. You don't, this is why you're not watching this great movie. It's you not don't a great understand. movie. The budget for Cocaine Bear was $35 million, and it's basically doubled that in what it's made. That's a success. This, that is a massive success for what That's this where movie the was success comes in because they knew it was going to be a joke and, and they said some somebody will it. be dumb enough to watch this movie. Somebody said they should make a Viagra Viper. I would watch that. Coming up next, <laughs> how far work. can Mizzou realistically get in the NCAA tournament? They're already advancing to the second round for the first time in more than a decade. Can they advance beyond that? I certainly think so, but just how far can they go? We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's still pick up his dribble and then threw it away. Brown with a steal. Oh, 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 oh. Easy to kick out. Brown a three. Tigers of the SEC will advance. The Stars is dribbling it out with his teammate. Those two guys were pretty special. Hodgson Brown and they'll advance. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's what it sounded like yesterday on TNT as Mizzou advances to the second round of the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2010. The last time that they advanced, Avatar was nominated for Best Picture and the average price for a dozen eggs was $1.66. Missed those days. Alex, how far can Mizzou realistically go, though? Because they're advancing to the second round. They've got Princeton. We already know that matchup. It's going to be tomorrow night around 5 o'clock as the tip-off time for that one. They can definitely beat Princeton. In fact, they should beat Princeton. That should now be the expectation is that, fingers crossed, knock on wood, Mizzou should be advancing to the Sweet 16. But then what? What do you expect for Mizzou? How far can they reasonably get in this year's tournament? Uh, in all honesty, I expect a matchup with Alabama for the Final Four. Whoa. Yeah, that's 
that's probably where I'm at right now. But Coming from the same guy that had Oral Roberts Yeah, there. I was going to say, you really yeah. shouldn't take my bets on these anymore. No, but I, I like it, though, because you're bold. I just I thought Utah State was going to be their toughest matchup. And, you know, if they would have gotten Arizona, maybe, and maybe I'm underplaying Princeton right now for what they just accomplished against Arizona. But I, I feel like the way that Mizzou plays matches up well against Princeton. And then you're talking about the next round, which could potentially be Baylor if they get that far. I, I, I just think right now with the way Mizzou played against Utah, maybe this is me getting way over my skis because it's the first time since 2012, but I realistically look at this now and say there's a path for Mizzou to meet up with Alabama. Yeah, I, I think that I, right now where I would put them is I, I definitely think they're beating Princeton, but I think they're, they're run-ins at the Sweet 16 because I, I like Baylor, even though Baylor's having a tough time with UC Santa Barbara in California and in Santa Barbara, by the way, uh, 26-26 with five minutes to go in the first half there, but I, I think Baylor and Creighton will give Mizzou a lot of fits, and I, I, either one of those teams. If both those teams are still around and they one of them meets up and, with them at the Sweet 16, I think that's where the run ends. I still think Missouri can give them a fight, but I would say right now Sweet 16 is where I've got an ending for them because I think Baylor and Creighton are so well-balanced offensively that they'll be able to take care of Missouri with their lackluster defense, and it's just going to come down to how can Missouri – hit their shots, which has been the story of their whole season, yep. but can they do it continuously as the rounds progress? We'll see. It's tough for me to foresee a scenario in which Missouri beats one of Baylor or Creighton. It's, those teams are just really good, man. And I know that Missouri's had some quality wins so far this season, but once you get to this part of the season, and one of the things, I mentioned this with you and, and Stolter yesterday, Alex, one of the reasons why I will be picking Mizzou, by, I think they can win by 10-plus tomorrow, against Princeton is because of how difficult of a matchup that is for a team to prepare for in 24 hours notice. Whoever they play in the Sweet 16 is going to have some time. There's a little bit of a break between the first weekend of the tournament and the start of the Sweet 16 where those teams will meet in Louisville. So I, I do think that that ends up becoming something that is a bit of a disadvantage for Mizzou. Now that being said, if Mizzou's able to get to the Elite Eight and somehow Alabama is eliminated... That's where things get really interesting because it's, again, a quick turnover and you're going up against one of Maryland, San Diego State, or Furman in the Elite Eight. <laughs> Suddenly things could open up for Mizzou in a way that could be a really interesting path to the Final Four. Again, that is getting way out in front of our skis. I think this thing comes to an end in the Sweet 16 against either Creighton or Baylor. That would be my guess. Um, but like you said, Alex, UC Santa Barbara is beating Baylor right now. The tournament's weird. Sometimes it's about what the path ends up being. And for Mizzou right now, all things are coming up Tigers, man. It's looking good so far. And when you've got a season like this, sometimes things just open up. And it, that's where Mizzou's at. It really might have been a blessing in disguise for the region that they got selected to play in and, and kind of how this is. Because the path is a little bit more favorable than, say, if you would have put them in another region for how it would have gone even with their seed positioning. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just... For me, if you get through the first two rounds, you're riding, you're riding a little bit of a momentous high right there. And for Mizzou, if you could do that after a Princeton team that just took down Arizona, I would like to see them match up with a Baylor or a Creighton. And, and as we talked about earlier, they have the formula to do it. If they're hitting their three-point shots and they're forcing turnovers, it could look a lot like it was in that Utah State game where they get to 70-point 70 70 mark this year. They're undefeated, and, and that's just the goal. It's a race to 70. Can Missouri get there? And if they do, they're probably going to win the basketball game. And we've been saying it since they beat Illinois. 
they have the formula to go on a run. I do think they're going to need a little bit of help, but they definitely got the formula down. And they've already got a little bit of help so far. We'll see how much more help they're able to get within their region with the matchups that they get moving forward. But listen, like I, what Princeton did was, was amazing yesterday to watch. Princeton is just not as good of a team as Arizona. I know they beat them head-to-head. -head. The best team does not always win. I know that's a weird thing to hear, but we all know it. Like Princeton this year was not as good as Arizona. Arizona is a better basketball team. But on one day, and this is why we love the NCAA tournament, Princeton was better. And they advanced, and now Missouri is able to get what I think is a much more advantageous matchup for them to be able to move on to the Sweet 16. And this is what begs my next question. I think this season has earned Dennis Gates the benefit of the doubt. I think most Mizzou fans would agree with that. He's advanced in the tournament. He's already done so much more than anybody could have reasonably expected out of Mizzou this year. I don't know what next year is going to look like, guys. They're going to have to probably go to the transfer portal to be able to get some, some guys that can immediately help them because DeMoy Hodge is out of eligibility. He can't return next season. Trey Gomillion, who did not play for them yesterday but was an important piece of that rotation for much of the season, again, out of eligibility. I think Kobe Brown is going to go to the NBA. We'll see on that. No guarantee he can technically come back, but we'll see. If he does, you're replacing your two best players next season. <laughs> Alex, if things go south, if they have next year a year kind of like Illinois did this year where it was just super disappointing, it never coalesced the way that they were expecting it to, has this year earned Dennis Gates the benefit of the doubt where Mizzou fans will be like, okay, it's fine, it's one year, it's an off year, we're going to be able to get this thing back on track? Absolutely it does. Do we all remember how trash this team was last year? There was no way, shape, or form I expected Dennis Gates to step in in a matter of an offseason and turn this into a team that could compete the way that they are competing this season. So, yeah, you're probably going to take a step back if you have to replace all of those players. But do you have to? Because it took an offseason, maybe less than that considering when he was hired, to get all of these transfer portal players that put together a competitive roster. I, I, he's got all the benefit of the doubt for me because of what he has done this season. I, I'll be interested to see how Missouri fans look at it because I'm not sure they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I think with what you just said of how much success he had in the transfer portal, I think a lot of people may point to it if they have a down year and go, oh, that was just kind of a one-hit wonder. I, I think for you to get the benefit of the doubt, you have to do it in back-to-back -back years or, or have it in a continuous run. That's why I feel like Brad Underwood kind of has the benefit of the doubt because he had those teams with DeSumo and uh, Coburn, and though he didn't make a deep tournament run, those teams were really good, and they just ran into some tough draws that we talked about earlier. So does he get the benefit of the doubt next year? I don't think he will, and I, I think Mizzou fans sometimes get higher expectations on their teams than they probably should. Whoa. I'm looking at football, for example. Hey, Sorry, whoa. but they're not going to be a top program in, oh, in the SEC. Okay. But sure. I, I, think, I don't think he gets Luther the benefit Burton? of the doubt just yet. So I think some will bring up the Frank Hafe experiment as a supporting evidence piece to what you're discussing there, T-Bone. I would say this. Frank Hafe's first season was kind of like what we're seeing right now from Dennis Gates, where it just exceeded any reasonable expectations. That team finished 30-5. and five. It was one of the most fun teams that I've been able to watch or cover in my entire life. That being said, the biggest difference between that team and the one that we watched this year from Dennis Gates is the roster construction. That team had everybody returning. It was basically the Mike Anderson team with Frank Haith as the coach. The players were all there already. And then in 2013, you had Frank Haith really bring in his roster, and they were okay. They, they were a solid team. They finished as a, I think it was a nine seed in the NCAA tournament that year. 
and they lost in the first round. But then the next year, he tried to do it again, and it just felt like it was getting worse and worse every season with Frank Case as the head coach. When he put a team together, it wasn't good enough. And that was the difference. When we saw Dennis Gates put a team together, it immediately came together just like that. So I think he's earned himself the benefit of the doubt. It is not never-ending, though. Two years from now, if they end up having a bad season, that's when things start to get interesting for him. But I think right now, I'm not sure there's a single coach in the country that has a higher approval rating by their fan base than Dennis Gates does at Mizzou because he was a what he was able to accomplish so far this season. Going around college basketball with the latest updates on these scores. We are about to come to a final. we got about a minute left to play. It looks like Michigan State is going to be advancing to the second round. They're up 67-57, again, with a minute to go against USC. Michigan State, the seven seed in that region. Xavier is still struggling to get things going against Kennesaw State. I saw on Twitter somebody said, we're getting to the point where it might just be a clear indicator that Kennesaw State's the better team today than Xavier. Kennesaw State up 55-44 with 11 minutes to play in that one. Uh, Baylor, again, struggling. Three seed versus a 14 seed. Baylor is up 31-30 to against UC Santa Barbara, and we have just tipped off between St. Mary's and VCU. That is an 8-6 to score in the first round. About 13 minutes left to play in the first half for that one. Coming up in 15 minutes, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will join us. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. is the Air Comfort Service X line for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one has got to go here on 101 ESPN. Let's start with this one, Alex. One's Gotta Go Facial Hair Edition. What? A beard, a goatee, a mustache, or sideburns. Which one's got to go? Oh, it's sideburns. Nobody does sideburns anymore. This is nobody's Elvis, all right? The sideburns have to be the normal length right around the ear, can't go any further than that unless it's attached to the like the chin strap i did the chin strap when i was in high school did thought you? it looked i good. think that's the first thing that everybody grows in yeah i thought They're like I, oh what if i did like the chin strap right down the line on I, the jaw I it's thought a it great looked look good, and then when you go back and look pictures kind of a d-bag yeah yeah so uh but it's sideburns for me we had the same like hair decisions you and i are up, way too like similar that i don't tips. like well, it wasn't really frosted tips. It was like a checkerboard of blonde hair on top of your head. 100%. I would definitely say it's got to be the sideburns that got to go, and that's coming gone. from a guy that has no facial hair. I was going to say, I would have so. thought you would have gone mustache because you can't grow one. No, no. I would love to grow a mustache. I just cannot. Do you shave? To fine shave because it, it's just like this. It's grab the razor, ready to go. That's amazing. You know what? I, you, you know why I don't can't do the mustache? You haven't seen this. You've seen this. The episode in the office where they all grow one for, um, what is it? 
for colon cancer, I think. It's whatever they do. They grow the mustache. And Toby grows one, and he, like, leans over to a random woman walking on the street with his weird mustache. He looks like a psychopath. He's like, uh, raise your hand if you like men's colons. That's why I don't grow mustaches, because I feel like I look like that individual. I've never had a mustache before. Oh, I think I I'm going to do it at some point this year. Oh, I think I I'm going to do it for November. I did it, and my wife looked at me, and she goes, never again. And I said, understandable. Uh, for me, I would go with the sideburns as well. Just not a good look. It's 2023. We've got to do better than Come that, on, gentlemen. People. Come All on, right, people. one's got to go. Sporting event edition. Super Bowl Sunday. Card home opener. First day of March Madness. Or city sc's first ever home game interesting which one's got to go alex to say it again cardinals home opener city sc's first ever home game first day of march madness or a super bowl sunday so march madness and super bowl sunday are staying like i, I love those i i hate to say this and people are going to get angry but i think the city sc home opener is going to have to go because i don't i can't get rid of cardinals home opener there's so many there's so many extra feelings to that in terms of one it's the start of baseball season two it's the start of spring and three like it's the start of cardinal season like baseball season is one thing and then cardinal season is another thing so i think city sc home opener's got to go i think i'm with you and i was there at the first ever home game and it was an awesome experience but i think there just is that there's just more to it on cardinals opening day here in st louis where you got the clydesdales the hall of famers i I think I would have to say that that's got to say, and I, I'm with you. I love Super Bowl Sunday, and I love March Madness, so I can't believe I'm saying it, but I think it's got to be City SC's first ever home game. Sweep it. I think that's the the, the one that you've got to go with here because it's not a, it's not an annual event. It's a one-time, right? Like, it's it's a one-off. Yeah. It's great. It was amazing. Tanner, we both had an outstanding time being there to be able to take that all in, but these other things are something that you get to celebrate every single year, and if you take that away, it takes away a big part of the sports calendar, so... I'm out on those. You got to go with the City SC games. All right, one's got to go Cardinals Outfield Edition. I'll start with this. Tyler O'Neill, Jordan Walker, Lars Newtbar, or Dylan Carlson. We've done something like this in the past. I would go Carlson because of the upside. I want my guys to have the opportunity to win an MVP if they have their best best season possible. You think Lars Newtbar is going to win an MVP? I think he has that kind of potential. I think he can be an all-star. I've said that repeatedly. I think if, if you get the best version of Lars Newbar, peak Lars is an all-star caliber player. I don't know that it is for Dylan Carlson. So I'm going to keep the other three because I think they have the higher upside. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I can't get rid of Walker. I can't get rid of O'Neal. It comes down to Newbar and Carlson, and I hate to say it, but in one half of a year of Carlson, I've had a lot more excitement than two full years of Carlson. I, one I, half year of Newbar, two yeah, I, full years yeah. of Carlson. You got me. I, uh... I think I would go Carlson as well, even though I am the lowest of yeah, maybe anybody in St. Louis on Lars Newtbar. I, I do see the upside. I can understand the excitement around the Cardinals. Now, would I have banked on it? Probably not. But I, when I look at Carlson, it's just I know he's going to be a good player, but I don't know if he'll ever be great. So that's why I think he's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Four ones got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one has got to go. All right, let's get to this from the 314. Guys, one's got to go quarterback edition in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, or Justin Herbert? Rodgers, Burrow, Herbert, or Lamar? You just do this because you want to hear all of us say Aaron Rodgers? (laughs) You did this because you want everyone to say, yeah, of course it is, because we can pick on Aaron Rodgers. 
I mean, you got to get rid Rogers of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers is the worst. Yeah, so, Rodgers is the worst out of all of these. But. No, I don't know if you need a butt. No, there's not a butt. Can, I, can we do a quick ranking of the best quarterbacks in the AFC if Aaron Rodgers ends up getting traded to the AFC? Yeah, better, I would enjoy this. You have, you have too much of a smile on your face. Better than Patrick Mahomes, I'd say. Yeah. Mahomes is up there. Like, let's name all of the guys that are, like, we think better right now than Aaron Rodgers in 2023. Mahomes. Allen. Burrow. Herbert. Herbert, yeah. Jackson. Lawrence. Lawrence. I love this. Um, Calm down. We've only got the five. Wilson? No. No. no God, God, no. No, <laughs> no, no. no. I think that's it. I think that's where you stop. Yeah, I, I don't Because I'm not putting Tua... Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm I would not, not, I'm not I putting put two. Up. No, you can't. At least I know as Rogers much as will you. As field. much as we all dislike Aaron Rodgers, you cannot put Tua above him. That's the seventh best quarterback in the AFC. That's a playoff. Team. Hey, there you put him in the NFC, probably top three. So let's do that. I saw somebody put out their list of the best quarterbacks in the NFC yesterday. Yeah, their it's top five. Bad. It's awful. Like absolutely atrocious. So in the NFC, if you were going like, who are the best guys right now? I think you've got to put Hurts at number one, right? I would say yes. I think so. In the NFC? Yeah. Is Dak Prescott the second-best quarterback right now in the NFC? Probably. If Rodgers is removed? Yeah. I think so. Who is the third? Oh. Is it Geno Smith? Jared Goff? <laughs> Question mark? I, I think it might Kirk? be. Kirk? No, I don't think so. I think it Maybe. might be Geno Smith. I would I would have Kirk over Geno just because Kirk – you know, didn't have to go be a bad. Is it healthy Stafford? See, but I don't even think it's Kirk. That, I, will, I thought about saying Stafford, but I knew what the reaction was going to be. I, I, I think Stafford when healthy is probably third or fourth. No, it might be Justin Fields. What are we doing here? Kyler would be up there, too, if he's healthy. It I, might, I know he's might, had his if he's stretched, It might be but. Justin Fields. Justin Fields is better than all of those options. See, for Kirk Cousins, and text us, uh, Kirk uh, Lover, because I know you're listening right now, 314-399-9646. Don't text you out here to Max and downtown That's all. Hell yeah. Come tell it to T-Bone's face. Uh Kirk Cousins is a product of the guys with him. Justin Jefferson is making Kirk Cousins a better player. I don't think Kirk Cousins is as good as what Kirk Cousins was last season. That's just because you have Justin Jefferson. I think the third best quarterback might be Justin Fields. Look at what he did with that receiving core. I'm with you, but also if you look at what he did, and I love Justin Fields. You guys know this. I said last during the offseason, I, I wouldn't trade Justin Fields. I'm building around that guy. He's still ended up averaging 150 yards per game in the passing game. Now, I know there's a lot of context that's necessary there. The offensive line was awful. The wide receivers are atrocious or were atrocious in Chicago. He had no help out there. He needed – it was rough. He also ran for 1,000 yards. This dude ran for 1,100 yards last season. So he might be the third-best quarterback. I think it's pretty telling, though, that in the NFC, you can basically name one guy that you have any certainty with and then a bunch of dudes yeah. that you're like, uh, it might be if you if you like squint and look over to the right, maybe you could see I, how they end up being. I, high this level. conversation made me think, where is the number one pick? Because Carolina's taking a quarterback at number one. Where is he going to fall into this? Like Stroud, say he's taking number one overall, he might honestly be like a top eight quarterback I in mean, the NFC. I mean, if you're Carolina, your hope and the reason why you make this trade is that he ends up immediately being in that Kirk, Kyler, Field, Stafford conversation. That's amazing. That's your hope. And that's amazing to think and about. that's why Carolina made that trade. Because they're like, we're going to have potentially a top five quarterback in our conference by the end of this upcoming season. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. 
Coming up next, we'll be talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. But first, let me give you an update on where we're at with the NCAA tournament. We are continuing the first round today. Xavier is officially on upset alert. There's about seven minutes left to play. Xavier is down by six against Kennesaw State, the 14 seed. So we've already seen a 15 takedown, a two. We might be seeing early on today a 14 seed taking down the three-seeded Xavier Musketeers. We also have another 14 seed in UC Santa Barbara up at the half, 36 to 35 against Baylor. VCU is leading St. Mary's 17 to 16. And then earlier today, we had our first game go final. Michigan State was able to take down USC 72 to 62. Guys, I'll say this. It's been an outstanding start to the tournament. We've had great moments. We've had a lot of really tightly contested games. It feels like in every window, there's at least one game that's going down to the wire. So this has been a good start to the tournament, to say the least. Yeah, every game has been down to the wire. We've only had like one or two blowouts that weren't from those that 116 matchups. Penn State took care of A&M yep. last night. And really, that's been the only one. It's everything that you can ask for unless you're a betting man because then it's really not good for your health. Yeah, that's where I fall into this. Uh, not good for my health after what these last couple of days have been. And frankly, I'm going to lay this uh, six-leg parlay down before I leave on my DraftKings app. So my night's not going to be very fun either. I, I, I've been having a lot of fun losing a lot of bets on the FanDuel Sportsbook. We are, we are having fun, guys. Coming up next, we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. What's he expecting out of Joel Hofer tonight in his start for the Blues? as Jordan Bennington has been suspended for the next two games. We'll ask Curbs next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Out to the Brown and Kerbin Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. You'll also hear him on the call tonight for the Blues versus the Washington Capitals. Alex will have pregame for that starting at five. Curbs will be on the call starting at six o'clock. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing good. Just hanging out in Washington, DC, uh, watching a little basketball and getting ready for a hockey game. You can't beat it, Curbs. You really can't. How much of the tournament have you been able to watch so far? What stood out to you? I haven't watched a ton of it. Uh, I, I love some of the upsets. Sitting here and you're watching Kennesaw State take a huge lead, and you're going, okay, I know that's not going to last. Oh. Right? So, um, you know, so some normal stuff, but I, I just love the competition and the purity of it, to be honest with you. It's the best. There's nothing better than this time of the year with the NCAA tournament. We're watching it all, taking it all in at Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. Come on out, say hello, grab yourself a drink, watch the games along with us. We'll be here until 6 o'clock. Curbs, I do want to talk about the Blues with you, and there was the news yesterday that Jordan Bennington has now been suspended for two games. I know you talked with Alex and Anthony Stalter about that yesterday. I wanted to get to the other news related to that, though, which is that Joel Hofer is expected to start in net for the Blues tonight. What are you hoping to see from the young goaltender? Uh, you know what? I, I think he's just earned it, to, to be honest with you. So I don't, I, you guys know me enough now. I, I don't come in with, when, when guys, young guys come into the lineup with a whole lot of expectations, other than just to really be curious on how they react to things. I think we saw him last year in San Jose with a great performance. Uh, He's earned it. He was, what, third in the league in wins with 22, second in the league with four shutouts down there in the American Hockey League and really helped fuel a, a Thunderbird rise in the standings. So, you know, this is a guy that's played 90 games now in the American Hockey League. 
He's got a one-way contract for next year. So I, I did ask Craig Berube if it was difficult uh, from a decision standpoint because you've got Thomas Grace who's saying, hey, if Bennington's not available, I should be the guy. And, and you would expect that. But they have an opportunity now to see what he could do, uh, especially against players like Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov and Oshie. And I think they're excited for it. So, again, I don't, I don't know what, what quote-unquote expectations I have, but I am looking to see how he handles just uh, the overall game tonight. Do you believe, Curbs, that next year it's Joel Hofer and Jordan Bennington? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's already contracted. So unless something changes, Alex, in the, uh, unless something changes in the, um, in the offseason by a trade or something like that, then uh, I think without a doubt uh, it's going to be those two guys. Well, but that, that's, because, that's because Hofer, of course, is under a one-way contract for next year. Right. We're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kerbs, they have made a couple of lineup changes for tonight. You'll have Logan Brown and Josh Levo with uh, Nathan Walker. That's the expectation, at least, on that fourth line. I did want to ask you about something we've been talking about briefly, which is the defensive pairings. I I'm not saying that anybody is, like, losing their job or anything, but I am curious here. Colton Pareko uh, has been working with Nick Letty, and if you look at any of the numbers, it, it hasn't been great this season. Since Marco Scandella has returned, I've been impressed by what he's done in the lineup curbs and the way that they utilized those guys last year. They did a lot of basically platooning where they would start Colton Pareko mostly in the def defensive zone. They've been doing that with Marco Scandella since his return. Do you think we're going to see Scandella paired with Colton Pareko at some point here in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, that's an interesting one uh, because uh, they, they've really liked, they've really liked uh, Scandella with Falk. And I think the reason is, remember, it used to be Tori Krug a lot with Justin Falk. So Krug would be the guy jumping up, and Falk would be the guy getting back. Well, by putting him with Scandella, Scandella's the guy staying back, and, Krug, and, and Falk now is the guy going forward. So for the rest of this year, yeah, you might see that a little bit, Brandon. It's, it, you know, we've seen some good Scandella, you know, Pareko playing as well. But uh, for me, the one thing I've been impressed with with Scandella, it, it, it just looked like a calmer defensive group with him in there, hasn't it? He's brought some physicality. I mean, and, and again, we'll go back to the expectations questions. How does a guy get in there, you know, and what do you expect after missing so many games and then or so? Now that he's played 10 games or so, you're starting to see more of that physicality come in there and go with it. And here's the thing. I mean, this is where – this is where the defensive stuff they, they have to figure out over the course of this year because if you're going to make more room for Tyler Tucker next year, where does a Matt Kessel continue to grow and step in? How does a Scott Perunovich, if anything, play into it? All of the guys that they're going to have, I believe, except for Kessel, may have to clear waivers next year. So there's going to have to be some sorting out of this defensive pairing because I just don't see you coming back with every single one of them uh, for the start of next season if you're going to free up some room for some young defensemen to grow. Curves on the offensive side of things, specifically the power play, as you talk about opportunities and sorting things out, you know, we've talked a lot this season about lacking that one-time threat on the power play. We saw Yakub Verana take one of those one-timers, albeit it was right in front of the net from the pass from Cairo the other night. Could next season be the opportunity where you have two legitimate one-time threats with Verana being one of them and maybe Cairo or Buchnevich being the other? Listen, I think you've had one-time threats this year. I just don't know that the design of the power play has been designed for that, or they've had that attitude of using that one-timer. Falk is great with it from the blue line. Obviously, when Pareko gets a chance, he can do it. 
Um, Tyru over on the far side where Perron was really good at it. We've seen him be effective with it. And, and yeah, where you saw Verona score that one-timer power play goal in the last game, that's not a typical one-time spot for a, a forward like that. But, um, listen, I agree with you. Whether it's Verona, whether it's somebody else, the one-timer has to become a more prominent part of the power play, like it was the year before when they were 27%. Teams are just too good adjusting defensively with their sticks. They're just too good in the goaltenders getting over and, and it's sometimes, guys, it's not also just the guy shooting the puck. The passes have to be better. The, the passes have to be where the guy can one-time it. And I, and I think that's got to be a focus, too. But all in all, I think you're right, Alex. Somewhere in there, the one-timer just has to be more prominent. We're talking to Chris Kerber for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him uh, giving us the time here on the show. Kerbs, I wanted to ask you about a guy who has just been so damn good for the Blues this season, and that is Pavel Buchnevich. You look at what he's done specifically in his last, like, 15 games or so. He has 23 points, including eight goals in that stretch. He's now on pace this season, Kerbs, for 30 goals, or excuse me, 28 goals, 75 points, and a plus 13 when he's on the ice, which is impressive given how much the Blues have been outscored this season. I looked this up yesterday. I wanted to get your thoughts to put it into context because you've watched so many of these Blues teams. You've covered them over the years. If Buchnevich puts up that season, he will become the only Blues forward not named Pavel Dimitra to put up back-to-back -back seasons of 25 or more goals, 75 or more points, and at least, at least a plus 10 on the ice. Again, that's in back-to-back -back seasons, 25-plus goals, 75-plus points, and a plus 10 on the ice. Curves, when you think about some of the best all-around forwards in the NHL, is Pavel Buchnevich adding his name to that list? Oh, he absolutely is. Those are some great numbers, Brandon, and that backs up what we've seen. Over a point-a-game guy since coming to the Blues. Full 200-foot game. Power play, penalty kill, and now trying to figure out how to be a centerman again in the National Hockey League while being effective. And he's probably a little frustrated that his scoring chances are down because he's dishing the puck a little bit more, and he's still finding a way to pick up points. So, yeah, he absolutely is. I, it was funny. I was writing some nuggets about him down today, being, you know, that he's got a, another 10-game point streak going. And the only, the only other two players in the history of the Blues that had a 10-game point streak in each of their first two years with the franchise were Brett Hull and Adam Oates. And Hull did it eight times. Hull, he did it three times in a row. I'm sorry, Holly did it eight times in a row. Oates did it three times in a row. But it just shows you how good he is. I look at that. I look at the Rangers and the fact that they had cap space. I still don't know how the New York Rangers made that trade or why when they did. And I'm glad they did because I think he's going to grow into a leadership role. I thought he led with a burn under his saddle the last game in a terrific way. I thought he led with intensity on the ice. He wants to win. And, and his personality is a bit infectious around these guys. He can be pretty doggone funny. So, yeah, you're absolutely right there, Brandon. I, I think without a doubt you've got to talk about him being, you know, one, one of the best two-way forwards in the league. He's Chris Kerber. You'll hear him on the call tonight for Blues versus the Washington Capitals. That one will have the puck drop at 6. Alex will have your pregame coverage starting at 5 o'clock. Kerbs, we appreciate the time, man. Enjoy yourself this weekend out in D.C., and we'll talk with you again soon. All right, fellas. Have an awesome weekend. Thanks. See, Absolutely, same to you. That is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him joining us here on the show. Alex, when we talk about who the Blues are building around, it always comes back to Thomas and Kyrou, yeah. Thomas and Kyrou, Thomas and Kyrou. 
I think we have to change the conversation. It's Thomas Kyrou and Buchnevich, and I would actually reorder them Buchnevich, Thomas Kyrou. Agreed. I think that's the way that the Blues are building. Right and now. that's why the defense is so fascinating. You heard Curbs mention it there. Uh, talking about sorting it out on the defensive side for spots for Tucker, Perunovic, and potentially finding somebody in the off. You've got to figure out defense. If you can go get that one player that changes the dynamic of D for your team next year, you're talking about being one of the competitive teams in the Western Conference. And, yeah, you're not going to be on the same page as Colorado, probably not the Edmonton Oilers, but you sort out your defense, you've got the offense to survive in this league because of Buchnevich, Thomas, and Kyrou, and I made the comp yesterday. And now the more I think about it, the more I stand behind it. Buchnevich in two years, if you can get this sorted out with your team, that final year, or if you lock them up long-term, that could be the equivalent of when the Blues traded for Ryan O'Reilly in terms of you've got the young the pieces. start of the window. Absolutely. You've got the young pieces in place. Now we insert that one player. Let's go on our cup run. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Give you a quick update on where things stand around the NCAA tournament. We have three games in action right now, and they are all snug. Xavier versus mm. Kennesaw State is tied with 33 seconds to go. We'll give you the update on that one on the other side. Baylor is now leading UC Santa Barbara 46-41, to 41, about 15 minutes left to play in that one. And St. Mary's having a tough time getting it going offensively, but they do lead 29-28 against the 12-seeded VCU, about 30 seconds to go in the first half in that one. Coming up next, we'll have the BK Ferrario Rewind and hopefully have a recap of this Xavier versus Kennesaw State match that's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. missed anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101 espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you could go to find it it is all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers it's been a great day so far out here at max in downtown alton illinois we come out here it's our annual trip to alton for the ncaa tournament and it's been a fun one so far we've had some upsets and it looks like we might not have one more though wow. xavier appears to be holding on for a win against Kennesaw State. There's still about two seconds left in that one. Kennesaw State had an out-of-a-timeout opportunity. They had a good look at it. Xavier was able to block it, ends up getting in the hands of a Xavier player. They will be shooting two up by one with about two seconds left to go. Xavier was down big in that one earlier today, but it looks like they should be able to hang on. Alex, what stood out to you most so far about this NCAA tournament? Is there a, a theme that you've seen? Is there is there anything in particular, big picture-wise, that stood out to you? I mean, it's obviously the upsets, and we talked about it earlier on the show, but I, I think the reason those upsets are the three-point shooting percentage for the teams because the ones you're seeing that win and the ones that you're seeing these deep-seated teams that are coming up with upsets, 
because they're knocking down the three-point. And when, when you've got a sky-high percentage, look no further than my uh, Golden Eagles, Oral Roberts. Huh. When you stink at shooting the three-pointer, you ain't going very far. So that seems to be the main theme of this tournament thus far. Yeah, threes have been definitely a big storyline in this tournament. The other one for me is these teams that have been playing slow, like to kind of muck up the game, have really struggled. And I know Arkansas beat Illinois, but... You look at that uh, Virginia game, Virginia played really slow. That slow tempo continues yeah. to be something that these teams are struggling with to where they just keep allowing teams to stay in games. They never pulled away from Furman. So any team that's been playing slow I think is going to be on upset watch throughout this tournament and throughout the day because they just cannot find a way to pull away in those games. Yeah, it, it's been a fun one so far, and I do think that the three-point shot has been a big theme thus far. I also think you can make a pretty solid argument that the transfer portal, what, what we've been oh, watching, yeah. a lot of it relates back to the transfer portal um, and whether or not these teams have been around each other for long. The last thing that I wanted to get to with Mizzou, they were able to advance yesterday to the second round. It's the first time that they've done so since 2010. Alex, this was nothing short of a miraculous season for the University of Missouri, for Dennis Gates, what he was able to accomplish in his first year there. I would also add this. Kobe Brown, going to forever be remembered as an all-time player for Mizzou because of what he accomplished. If you're looking at like the last, especially the last 15 years of Mizzou lore, he's going to be in that conversation. I don't think he's an all-time great player, but what he was able to do, him sticking with the team, and then this year becoming an all-SEC caliber player, it's going to be something that Mizzou fans are going to remember fondly. And I know it won't happen, but I hope we see more of Kobe Brown in terms of players sticking with the teams that they committed to for the length of it and having success at the tail end of it. And like you mentioned, you know, who knows, maybe Kobe Brown goes into the NBA draft, but imagine what this season could be like if it is his final season for the Missouri Tigers to stick it out this long and then take this team on potentially a deep run in the bracket, which would be, I mean, that would be one of the most incredible storylines when it comes to the Missouri Tiger with basketball. And as much as we've talked about Missouri and, you know, how far can they go, Kobe Brown's going to be a big reason of if they're going to go to the Elite Eight or the Final Four and get past the Sweet 16, he's going to be a big part of that. And that's where that it comes down to, too. Legends are born here in March at the college level, and Kobe Brown had a really big game uh, yesterday. He's going to be the guy that's going to be the driving force for Missouri if they're going to go on a deep postseason run here. That's Alex Ferrario. He's had a fantastic, what, 36 hours out here <laughs> and we're just going to Alton, Illinois. We're going to keep uh, moving on with it, boys. You can't ask for anything more than a successful trip to What Alton. a weekend. Alex is going to be on the pregame coverage for the Blues versus the Washington Capitals starting at 5 o'clock. So you'll hear more of him coming up in about three hours. And Grant Francis, who's been marathoning this bad boy also. Tanner Hendrickson has done a fantastic job producing for us over the last couple of days out here. And we have a huge shout-out, as you mentioned, to Grant Francis, who's done a fantastic job back in the studio on the board for all of us. I'm Brandon Kylie. You guys enjoy yourself. This is going to be a fun weekend of St. Louis sports. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fastlane with myself, Anthony Stalter, Andrew Marsh coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.